Hey everybody, welcome to the Dark Art Society podcast, episode 111. Today's guest is Liz Lopez. She's an amazing dark artist and has a really unique story, fascinating life, and we, we've had a really excellent conversation. Went over two hours, flew by, felt like about 45 minutes or something, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. She's, she's a, she was a great guest. So, what have I been up to? Oh, I uh, recently switched to Squarespace to set up a website for my personal website, which I've had trouble with for a long time, so I'm excited about that. Squarespace seems so easy and clean, and I'm, I just wish I had some time to, to build the damn thing because... I'm so excited for it. I have, it's got a new shopping cart. I pretty much outgrew my big cartel shop. It doesn't have features that I need at this point. So I'm excited to be broadening my horizons and moving into the future with a new proper website. And I transferred the domain of the Dark Art Society to Squarespace. So that is being worked on, I think, starting this weekend. I got Jeff Bradford who's a dark art society member helping out. And oh, I'm just so excited about it. It's going to look so nice. It's going to be so pro looking. Uh, what else have I been up to? Oh, if you want to, we, we are almost up to our thousand dollar a month point, which is what we hit as our goal to, as a, a goal to where we start building the website. So um, if you haven't donated, you can donate for just a dollar a month and help keep the podcast going and pay for everything. And, uh, oops, I said, uh, I gotta be careful. I, um, see, there I go again. Shit. I'm falling back into this. What I wanted to say was this. I started building the website ahead of time before we hit the goal. Anyway, I got the domain registered, pay for all, paid for all that stuff. So the goal is kind of arbitrary in a way, just a way to, a reason to have a goal. But we want to get this thing as popular as possible. I want it to bring in as much money as possible because the more money we have, the more things we could do for the Dark Arts Society. Like I was talking to somebody, uh, I think it was Eric Tengren the other day. He suggested getting a booth at Monster Palooza. And I think that would be so great to, to be able to pay for a table, pay people to work the table, pay to get promotional materials, not just for the dark art society itself, but the, for the promotion of dark art and explaining what it means and explaining why it's okay to like it and why it is important. So... The more support we get, the more we will be able to do that sort of thing. So please donate if you can at patreon.com slash dark art society. And you get the podcast a day or two early if you do that. And you get little screen grabs of interviews of people. And you're going to be able to get the dark art society pin, the new, new amazing pin that I just had made. I'm going to do a promotion 
probably starting today. Maybe I should announce it since most people will be hearing this on Wednesday the 1st. For the month of May, well, I'm not ready to promote it actually because <laughs> I'm not sure what tier it should be. But for the month of May, if you join at a certain level, you will get a free pin. And the pin looks amazing. Uh, and everybody who's joined before then, I'm giving them a free pin because they were there from the beginning. Anyway, more on that. I'll announce it on the social media sites and stuff when I figure it out. I should have it figured out. I, I should have planned this out better. Anyway, so I've been working on the website stuff, working on it all as well as working on these studies that I owe for the pre-sale five by seven commission studies I did. I have over half of them started. And then I have to paint for my show at Bain Art Gallery in July, I believe, in Australia. So that is a lot. Of course, what all of this means to the dystopia book is that the dystopia book gets set aside again. I'm going to try and at least put a day a week in on that. It's so close. I keep saying, I've been saying that for probably six months, maybe longer, but it is so close. It's just so tedious and, uh, it's hard. I'm, it's hard to juggle everything. I'm, uh, uh, once this book's done, I swear it's going to be a whole new world. I'm very excited about that. Just seeing the book, too, because I know the potential of the book. Ugh. Anyway, let's get on with it. That's about what I've been up to. I'm posting tons of stuff on my Patreon. If you want to join that, it's patreon.com slash chetzar. And I've been doing a couple of time lapses a day lately. I have lots and lots of content on there and lots and lots of content to come. So... If you join, you will be surprised, I think, at all the stuff that's up there because I've been keeping all the new stuff for my Patreon subscribers. So, you know, it's, I don't know. I've been on there maybe not quite a year, but there's a lot of stuff. You know how much I, I, I create paintings, so there's a lot of stuff in there you probably haven't seen. Anyway, enough about me. Let's get to the new subscribers, the people who are supporting the Dark Art Society podcast by spending at least a dollar a month. Okay, here it goes. Come on. Of course, my internet's very slow all of a sudden for some reason. You son of a bitch. I can't win for losing. Okay, here we go. Okay, Ryan Case bumped his pledge up to get the Dark Art Society limited edition t-shirt. I ordered many extra shirts, so if you want to join at the $50 level for at least one month, you can get this limited edition, really high-end Dark Art Society t-shirt with the logo on the front and the logo on the arm and a custom tag, silkscreened on the inside. That was created by MilkPrints.com. Laura Dan, thank you for doing that again. Dos Diablos took my logo and designed it into something even cooler. So thank you, Jorge, for that. 
Okay. We have Joseph Zhu, I believe. Z-H-O-U. Thank you for supporting. Deloria Blackwolf. Thank you for supporting. And Ken Carano. You, you are making it happen. You are the reason I'm doing this podcast. If I didn't have the Patreon, there's no way I could afford to do this podcast. No way. It wouldn't be happening. I would just have to stop. So everybody who's donating and supporting financially is the reason this podcast is happening. Because I do not have time to do it. I have to, Otherwise, I have to hustle 24-7 to make a living. So this makes makes it so I can actually do this. So give yourselves a pat on the back. The community thanks you, and I thank you. All right. Five questions. Let's get to the five questions. Now, Brian Kilgore, Kilgore, who normally does solicits the five questions for me on Instagram, has been really busy with work stuff lately. So I have gone into the Dark Art Society cooperative page on Facebook, which is a private group that you get in if you donate at the $1 level or more on Patreon. And I ask for questions there. So I'm going to ask some of these questions here. Let's see. Screen grabbed them. Eric Tengren asked, your get list for the podcast. I feel like if you say it, it will happen. Uh, let's see. I would love to have Boris Vallejo on the podcast and Julie Bell. They're the amazing art power couple. You know, Boris, he's, he goes way back with these amazing kind of photo real fantasy works. His techniques, unbelievable. I would love to get, get him on. Let's see. I, I would love to have Mark Ryden on. I don't know if that's ever possible if he would do it, but I would love to have him. I would love to have Chris Mars on. And I haven't asked him because I'm just, I I have a way of asking him, but I'm kind of nervous about it. I should just do it though. I would like to get Mike Watt on the podcast, which I think he would do it. Again, he's such a hero of mine that he asked me to be on his podcast when he played the conjoined show, but I was so starstruck. It's been like two years now and I haven't gotten back to him about it because I'm just, I just look up to the guy so much. So I should probably do that. I also didn't have a car to drive down to his place for a long time or a working car. So I did get a new car finally, so I can actually go places. I got a Kia soul. Oh my God. I love that car. It's so amazing. I mean, you're talking, I've, I've only had, shitty cars since let's see i think maybe in 1990 i bought a nissan sentra new and every car after that has been you know a really cheap bucket so to have a car that has usb ports for me is like a big deal satellite radio and i love that car it's a really great car i did a lot of research on it before i got it I got a pretty good deal on it, and I just can't say enough good things about that car. It's like Patrick Ty has one. I found out because I was driving behind him on the freeway, and I saw my sticker on the back of a Kia Soul. Because, you know, when you get a car, you see that everybody else has your same car because you start noticing them. 
it was after Chris Velasco, one of his art barbecues that he does after he has a show or after conjoined. And I see this Kia Soul exactly like mine in front of me with the sticker like I have, my gas mask logo. And it was like, what? And then I realized Patrick Ty left the, the party at the same time as me and he was driving in front of me. So I called him <laughs> on his cell and I was like, do you have a Kia Soul? Anyway, it was kind of funny. So as far as a, a low budget car that has all these features that would normally be in a more expensive car, it's, it's really great. Okay, where was I? Uh, I'd like to have Mitch Devane on the on the show as well. I really would like to have Greg Nicotero on. He, I've heard through a third party that he said he'd be interested in coming on, but I haven't heard back from him yet, so we'll see about that. But truthfully, there are so many artists on, on my list of people I'd like to get that I doubt I'll ever run out of artist to interview on here if I do this the rest of my life. Seriously, it's it's kind of insane. Okay. Michael Fudge asked, what is your work routine? Do you have a rhythm to get you started or do you jump in, uh, jump on in? My work routine is I get up. This is how it's been going lately. It always changes. I, the, the way that works best is when I go to bed at like 10 or 11 at the latest and I get up at six or so and then start work after I wake up. Usually it takes me an hour or two to wake up. But the reality is lately I've been getting up around between eight and nine AM and I have some coffee and it takes me about an hour, like I said, to wake up to get the energy going or two hours. It's hard because the night before I've been working until like 12 or 1230. So first half of my day, I've got to deal with, I have someone that comes over, a friend of ours that comes and helps with shipping and casting things and just helping with the business stuff. So usually my morning is answering emails, fulfilling orders, printing out prints for orders, printing out certificates for the prints, um, ordering supplies, stuff like that. And she usually leaves at noon. So afternoon at 12, I take a lunch break. If I'm doing a pot recording a podcast, I do that usually around one if I can. And that usually takes a couple hours. If I don't have a podcast, I still dilly dally for an hour or so but bottom line is it's hard for me to get actually painting in the studio for whatever reason usually because i'm exhausted all the time it it's hard for me to get working before like four or five p.m i just I, it's so ingrained in me to be a night owl as much as it is not the most conducive way to work for me like when i go to bed early and wake up early i get way more work done it's just a fact but it's so difficult for me to maintain that, especially when something like Monster Palooza comes up and it's or any any deadline, any major deadline just screws me. And the schedule goes out the window. So, oh, yeah, when I wake up early, too, I the first thing I do before I uh, once I'm awake, 
I do 30 minutes of meditation. And when I wake up between eight and nine, I usually do meditation after the person who helps us leave. So that's usually around noon. I'll do 30 minutes of meditation. Then I eat lunch. Then I record a podcast. If I don't report a co- record a podcast, I try to start painting then. Usually it doesn't happen until three, four, five. And then I paint until about 12 or 12.30. And then I just repeat the whole thing over. And I do that every day, pretty much seven days a week until I get so exhausted that I just can't get up out of my chair and my body tells me I need to take a break. So that's my routine. Okay, Lorna Mess. Why do you like your favorite film, book, music, and how does that influence what you do? It's hard to pick a favorite film or book or music, to be honest, because there are so many. I have so many that I love. But I'll pick a film that is a fa- one of my favorites, one of my top. And that would be the old version of Night of the Living Dead from the 60s, 67, I think, or 68. That movie just was came at the right time for me and freaked me out. I love it. I love everything about that film. I could go on and on about that film, and I think I have before on the podcast. But I, I put it on for inspiration once in a while. It's a movie I always go back to. Something about the feeling of it, and maybe it's the feeling of my childhood that I'm really connecting with more than the feeling of the film. Like the feeling of the film makes you feel like you felt when you first saw it. And that was kind of a bad feeling. <laughs> it's weird. I, I I had this thing the other day, yesterday, I heard this song somewhere on, uh, I don't know where I heard it, on YouTube. It popped up or something. It's a 70s song. I grew up in the 70s. I was born in 67, so, you know, I was at the formative years were the 70s for me. I heard this song, Baker's, Baker Street, you know, that song by Jerry Rafferty. Do, 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 do. Anyway, I, I heard that song and it, it just took me back. Now, it gives me the creeps, that song, but I was thinking about it. Most songs from the 70s, like the sugary pop stuff from the 70s, totally give me the creeps and make me feel like, like this existential dread. Even happy ones. Happy ones are sometimes even worse. They're even creepier. But that song took me back to a time when I felt... It, it's not nostalgia because it doesn't feel good. It feels bad. Like it almost, it made me feel sick to my stomach. And it made me think about how alone I felt when I was that age. Probably after my parents divorced, I think I was age five. The family basically split apart. And I was kind of left on my own. Like my mom raised us. She did, you know, she was a great person. She was going through hell herself. She fed us, clothed us, all that stuff. But, you know, after my parents split up, there was kind of no, I didn't feel any kind of emotional support. 
like I just felt like all of a sudden I was on my own and and I had this really empty feeling inside like constant unless I was creating artwork or building a monster model kit or something I I had this feeling like of nervousness of being kind of sick to my stomach and scared all the time and I had and I felt like there was nowhere to turn to and my sister I think I was very close with my sister my early childhood is very hard to remember but I do remember really good times like three years old like feeling loved and and feeling like you know right and I was very close with my sister and she looked took care of me but she she got kicked out because of issues in the family I think when she was Maybe when she was 12, she went to live with my dad. Anyway, my family just split apart. And all, like I said, I, all of a sudden I was on my own and I didn't have my sister to go to. I, my brother didn't really want anything to do with me during my childhood. And my mom was kind of in her own. I think she was dealing with the situation the best she could. She had to raise three kids in this super intense environment. And... But she wasn't, you know, she wasn't, like, I don't remember either of my parents ever hugging me. I'm sure they did when I was a baby and when I was a toddler. But I don't, they never said that they loved me. They never hugged me. It was, it's, and it's not because they were not loving people because it's, particularly my mom was very sensitive, very caring person, very, very caring, very sensitive. But she wasn't raised like that either to say, I love you. I mean, I say it to my kids all the time. We say it like it's nothing. And, um, but the way they were, my, her mother was the same way. Like she never told me she loved me. I know, I knew she did, but you know, sometimes as a joke, my kids, cause they knew would talk to her on the phone and they would say, okay, when they were hanging up, goodbye, I love you. And they would say that and have this kind of, smile on their face like because they they knew she wouldn't say it so it was kind of like a joke putting her in that position to where she was uncomfortable and she'd say okay bye so anyway it's just weird how that one song took me back and made me realize how fucking lonely and miserable i was for so much of my childhood i just you know i know my mom if i would have reached out to her she would have responded for sure. She would have given me a hug, but it was like, I, I just, I was super shy and I, and I didn't know how, how to ask for that from her. So I just sat there and took it. I mean, I remember the night before going to school, just feeling like dread. It was like a dread feeling for most of my childhood in the seventies. Like I said, unless I was playing with my friends, riding my bike, building models, drawing, sculpting. That was what saved me. But man, it's, you know, you forget about these things and then you, you look back and you realize, like I, I think of my granddaughters who are seven and eight now, and I just love them so much. It's, it's like, it, it hurts. I love them so much. And I imagine them feeling the way I did. And it just, you know, it puts it in perspective because you can't, you don't have a clear perspective because you are the person there. So it's hard to have an out, outside perspective. Anyway, enough of therapy hour. <laughs>
What was the original question? Uh, oh, okay. So, Night of the Living Dead. Uh, yeah, it, for some reason, it, it, it makes me feel like I felt when I was a kid. And somehow, I'm using those feelings of that I mentioned about I mentioned about this existential dread and I'm dealing with it through the artwork. I think it's at this point I've analyzed my artwork a lot at this point and I wasn't sure for many years, but looking at it now, it's pretty clear that that's, that's what I'm exercising. That's what I'm expressing was my formative years feeling this kind of existential dread. So that was one, two, three, okay, four. Pricing. Oh, I cut off the, I cut off, Tanya Pamalis. Pricing, this got cut off because I screen grabbed it. So it, I'm only gonna be able to answer part of it. Pricing, do you price your work the same whether it's in a gallery or, or sold directly from you? And does location affect your price? Would you price something higher in an area where you know people will buy versus an area where the buyers are kind of dot I dot dot dot. Okay. No, I always price the price is the same. You should always price your prices the same. It doesn't matter where you're selling at. The important thing is that you keep your prices consistent. And I think you kind of bring this up, if I remember correctly, in the rest of the question that you're saying that you practice this as well. But I just want to reiterate, yes, you, you can't change your prices like that. The best you can do, I do, when I do conventions, I have sale prices at the conventions, but those aren't wholesale prices or anything. They're not huge discounts. They're usually 20% is a standard discount you can do for your artwork. If, if they ask, if they're on the fence. You can do 20% and not ruffle any feathers. But when you start selling to one person for full price and one person for wholesale or half price, it's going to really screw up your market. It's going to screw your collectors that paid full price from a gallery. All of a sudden, they're, they're, um, they're out half the money they spent because the value of it in their minds is going to be half as much. If you sold it for half as much... And they sold it and they bought it for twice as much. That's not going to make them feel good about buying your artwork. And it's really about the maintaining consistency and pricing is about keeping the value of your artwork steady. And you should all, you know, if you're selling, you should also be raising your prices every year because you deserve it because you're getting better every year. You're putting more time in. But also, your collectors deserve it. Your collectors deserve to have their investment go up in value every year. And it can't go up in value every, every year unless you're raising your prices every year. So, then that, that answers that question. Okay, let me see. Number five. Dave Sherman, what's your favorite beverage and why is it coffee? Very funny. Um, okay, some joke questions here. I'm just going to pass by. Uh... Okay. Uh, Joey Ed Edwards asks, I haven't looked, I haven't looked 
over all the old episodes, so sorry if this is already covered, but would you be interested in interviewing someone who is an owner or curator of a gallery that deals with dark arts regularly to get their view of the dark art scene and experience working with artists professionally? Absolutely. I've interviewed collectors. I don't think I've interviewed any gallery owners, though. Uh, I've talked to Gary and Erica at Capro. I've talked to Jeremy Schott at Dark Art Emporium. I've talked to Bill Schaefer at Hyena Gallery, and I'm planning on having all of them on at one point. I do want to have Gary and Erica on, or Gary or Erica, whichever one wants to do it, or both, just because they're sort of my main gallery. So I want to have them on before I have any other galleries on. So it's in the works. There's such a, like I said, there's such a huge list to get through. Next week, I've got Kevin Merck coming on the show, who's the guy who goes by the name Turkey Merck on Instagram. He makes those crazy mugs. You may have seen, he had a viral video, a video go viral of these mugs he makes that are like monster faces. They're really amazing. And he's a really great sculptor. So I'm going to interview him next week to have him on the following week. So I think that is it. Now, that was a long one. Uh, okay, yeah, we got the five questions out of the way. That's it. All right, well, stay tuned for the Liz McGrath episode. <laughs> Liz McGrath. <laughs> Sorry, I knew I was going to do that. Liz Lopez. We talked about Liz McGrath. Liz, Liz has been on the show, and during the Liz Lopez interview, we talked about Liz McGrath. So I'm sorry. Sorry, Liz Lopez. Stay tuned for the Liz Lopez interview. And like I said, it's a really good one. I'm very excited to present it to you. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for supporting and enjoy the show. What's up, Liz? Hey, what's up? How are you doing? Great. Pretty oh, good. Very excited to have you on the show. Yeah, finally. It's yeah. Been a long time in the making. I know. <laughs> so how are you doing? Pretty good. Uh, Got a bit of laryngitis, I, I heard. Yeah, a little bit of laryngitis, just getting over that. I actually sound worse than I feel. I feel pretty, pretty great. Yeah, that's how laryngitis is. You can feel fine, but you have this crazy voice, but you sound all right. <laughs> I kind of like it. <laughs> Husky. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't You you. I don't even know where to start. Because I, 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 you know, I know very little about you personally as friends. It's like we know each other from seeing each, each other at art shows and stuff for a long time now. But as far as, you know, your, your background and your history, I've read things here and there. And it sounds like you have just one of the most fascinating backgrounds that I've ever heard about <laughs> from, from the little pieces I picked up from your Instagram and stuff that I've heard about what you do for uh, your, the day job and all this stuff. So yeah, it's all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, wow, when did that happen? How, how did these things come into play? I know uh, it's it's very confusing to people. Yeah, it seems perfect for you, though. Actually, I mean, it, it just yeah. seems it's 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 almost like I don't know because you have this really interesting persona, like you know, look about you. You know, you really are are the 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 full package. I guess I guess you could say, and it's like it's almost like. You've taken all your life experiences, and it's and this is what you've become from that. Is that yeah. fair to say? Yeah, it is. I feel like I've always been this person, though. Ever since I was a kid, I think. I mean, we're we're pretty similar in age. I think I'm 
I was born in the 70s, so. Okay. Uh, I'm, a little, <clears throat> I'm a little older. I was born in the late 67. <laughs> I know, but you got that cherub look going on. <laughs> Forever young. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've uh, been around for a while, so I've, I've had, you know, quite a few different jobs and, and opportunities to, like, live multiple lives, you know. Mm-hmm. And that culminated into like who I am now. But I mean, I think when you're a kid, you kind of have certain interests and, and they've always pursued for me through adulthood. So things I was into as a kid, I'm still into now. I mean, Egypt, one of them, um, was way into Egypt as a kid. I think a lot of us in the seventies grew up like obsessed with that kind of stuff. And yeah, it was like an age of like Guinness Book of World's Records and and stuff like that. And certain images are like kind of, burned into our brains you know yeah (laughs) yeah. i I remember there there wasn't a lot back then so it's like we all kind of had these very similar (laughs) right that's true there was less there was less material there was it was really more limited so yeah that's a good point i never thought about that people kind of from who grew up in the 70s um had to we we all knew the same books and stuff it wasn't like there was a million different books you could find on a subject so yeah. that's interesting. So we're, yeah, we're kind of parallel lives with like little tweaks in it for right. everyone. <laughs> so um, you're primarily a graphic or a graphite artist. I mean, yeah, you know, oddly enough, um, I went to the San Francisco Art Institute and I majored in um, classical oil painting. Oh wow! And so I started in painting, and um, I did that for a really long time. But you know, I I um. It's really kind of kind of a long story about that, but I started monochromatically because I always had issues like with colors. Mm-hmm. There's certain colors that I couldn't really really see the yeah. way other people are seeing them. Yeah, I would have arguments with people, and it's, there's nothing more frustrating than seeing a color and saying that's not purple, that's like <laughs> a greenish color, and then right. they're like, "What's oh, not?" And it's like, "Oh my are god, you, are you colorblind?" I have I have some color blindness for hmm. certain colors, so if I mean, even if you like look, scroll through my feed, you'll see like a certain palette. I like, I use a lot of reds and greens, um, very kind of like muted tones. Um, and so in painting, it was always really difficult. I struggled. I loved the act of painting, but it was very difficult for me. And a lot of times I would literally go into Photoshop and like, I drop colors so that I could match it and see what I was going to be. Oh, wow canvas and it was just so tedious that i was like i i, I can't do this like because right. i love to paint i can't do it and uh, another thing was that because i was doing classical oil painting there is a method to it and it, it helped a lot to have that method versus just kind of painting abstractly or doing anything like that and trying to use color to to represent things right um, so that helped but after struggling for so long, I just um, decided, you know, I'm not going to do monochromatic paintings anymore. I'm going to just focus on drawing. And once I started drawing, I just had this like weight lifted off of me. Wow. And, and I kind of just fell into it. And that actually happened in like 2011. Huh. So it hasn't been very long that I've been drawing. Wow. You wouldn't so, know it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I've been drawing the whole time. You know, when I was when I was laying out my my paintings, I was always drawing, but I was not focusing and taking them all the way to the end. You know, right, right, <clears throat> yeah. That that uh, you know, I, I have to say the 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 um, graphite work it kind of fits perfectly with 
your style and everything, like the way you dress. Don't you think it's like it's like black and white? Yeah, no, actually, it's perfect. It's like it's accessories. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like it's it's kind of perfect. That's pretty cool. Um, I I've had I I struggle with color. I'm not colorblind, but um, I mean I can I can do color. Obviously, I, I paint and color, but uh, I find it easier to to work from. Uh, values first, you know, because yeah. values are really the most important part of a painting or drawing. It's all about values. So that's, it's kind of like at the heart of the piece. If you can get the values right, it doesn't matter if it has color or you use weird, crazy colors, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I think I always had a fear, though, that I would be laying a color down and I'm thinking it's a certain thing. And then people who see it are going to be like, oh, that's not what it is. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. It was a lot of that fear of like, not being able to to freely do something with confidence, right? And and uh, what I'm seeing might be different. Well, and you know what, that can be cool too. And and I I've wanted to go back into painting, and I probably will. Um, I just I I think because of that long struggle that I had, I'm just so afraid to go back into it. You know, right? Well, if you're at a place where you feel like home artistically, then there's not really any reason. That's like why I. I I'm still painting monsters because I can't think of anything more fun, more fun to do. So it's like, why would I change it? <laughs> I mean, if you're happy here, it, you know, the work's great. So, you know, yeah. it, it, yeah. if it's satisfying, that's what matters, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably one of the most important things um, as an artist. I know that a lot of people, a lot of younger artists write to me and they're like, you know, how, you know, I, you know, they emulate other artists and they, and that's great for a while. Right. You, sure you don't do that for too long because then you start to poison your own well and your creativity um and so like for instance i i had to really sit down with myself and think what is the truest thing for me like what is my truth you know right what can i make that i can stand behind 100 percent that i know is me right so a lot of times i was doing hands hands are like my favorite thing to draw, I could just draw them all that's day long. So, yeah, that's so, <laughs> that's so funny because most artists are like, I can't draw hands. I hate drawing hands. It's like the common thing I hear all the time. And it's so crazy to me because I'm <laughs> that way with faces. It's like huh. I, 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 I've kind of like really investigated, researched why I have trouble. And I think even though there are methods to drawing and, and once you learn those methods, you know, it's easier to, to draw anything pretty much. Um, when you look at it abstractly, but, um, I think there's part of it is that I've always been such an introvert and it's been always very hard for me to interact with people mm. face to face that when I see a face, it's very, um, emotional to me Wow! and it like, um, I can't render it accurately because right. I'm so, um, this veil of like emotion is kind of blocking that. Wow. If, any sense yeah that's really interesting and hands you know they here they're here below us and and they have a lot of expression and they're they're like faces yeah uh, and uh and to me they just are so easy to draw I, wow I, <laughs> that's cool i mean that's i mean if you look at the anatomy of the hand there's like three joints in every finger and if you know the, the size of those joints and the size of the palm it's gonna be really easy to make a hand do anything you right know? right yeah, there's, um, a, there's a lot of subtleties with the hand, though, you know, like the way that yeah. know, fingers aren't straight across, they kind of curve right. and, the, and the hand curves kind of right. like that, you know, so so I, I see why people have trouble with it. But 
that's cool. I mean, if you can do them good, that's great. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's cool too from an artistic perspective that you know everything that we make comes from our hands. So there's like that kind of symbolism right. there as well. You know, like creation yeah. kind of comes physical embodiment of our thoughts comes from our hands. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. And they, and it's kind of nice to document. I mean, I, I'm my own model. Most of the time I do have a couple girls that I've, I've asked, you know, to sit for me mm -hmm. for drawings, but, um, for the most part, I always draw my hands and it's kind of nice to document over time how they're changing. Cause right. I see some of the first drawings in my hands. I'm like, wow, my hands are really like <laughs> starting to turn into like these weird old skeletal hands. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty they've cool. Always, yeah, they've always been bony and weird, but like <laughs> even more bony and weird. <laughs> it's uh, that's that's interesting. It's like you're doing self, uh, you're doing a series of self portraits, but of yeah. your hands. That's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Wow, there's all kinds of interesting things about you. So, let's. How, what what was your childhood like? Grow, growing up. I mean, when did you get into art, and how was art? regarded in your uh living situation with your family and stuff like that well you know um first i want to kind of mention i saw your movie and it was incredible oh, I thank you. you absolutely amazing oh. it's just like so like touched by it it was really really beautiful you're so fortunate to have had the life that you had in such a nurturing environment and i was lucky <clears throat> It's um it's really interesting. I know in a lot of your podcasts, a lot of the artists talk about how they began making art out of trauma mm -hmm. or their experiences when they were kids, you know. And I and and I I think that's definitely true. It's definitely an escape for a lot of us. Um, as a kid, I mean, without getting into too many layers, uh, I didn't grow up in that kind of environment that fostered art. Um, mm -hmm. My parents were highly religious. My father was a minister. Oh. Texas, I call the crotch of the Bible belt. Like, <laughs> like so, so uber conservative. He was a Southern Baptist conservative minister. Wow. And, um, so, um, all non secular activities. We weren't allowed to do anything fun, basically. Wow. Not the way you want to raise a kid, you know? right? But you know, <clears throat> we did. We 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 got our fun in. We had to. We had to do it like. Um, not behind my parents' back. I had to sneak it in. Yeah. <laughs> but I had brothers. I had three brothers, and, and they were into some really cool things. My oldest brother's a physician, and he was also an artist and a musician. So he kind of turned me on to a lot of stuff. He turned me on to um, Stephen King when I was a kid and The Hobbit and stuff like that and comic books. And and they, him and my brothers built Hot Rod. So I, I got a good chunk of that at home. So, you know, but on the other hand, um, we weren't allowed to celebrate um, holidays like Halloween or uh, or anything worldly, you know. What a bummer! Uh, we weren't allowed to listen to the radio. We had to listen to Christian music. Oh my um, god, that sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't allowed to watch horror films, but uh. we my brother would would get us into horror films and sci-fi <laughs> stuff. So you know, everything was very precious to me. When I would see those things, they became very precious to me because I thought they were like, um, you know, if my parents are stopping me from doing it, obviously, like, there's something there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It kind of drives you to it in a way, you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, and 
it was weird because we were allowed to we, we were allowed to celebrate Halloween up until I think I was like seven years old, and then something really crazy happened. My parents got really really religious. Well, my dad specifically got like something changed. I remember we were allowed to dress up, and then all of a sudden we were not. Wow. He said, "You can dress up if you if you're like Mary or like someone from the Bible." <laughs> <laughs> not at all. <laughs> wow, that does not sound fun. And stuff like New Year's, when everybody's like outside with firecrackers, we had to pray all through the New Year. So like wow. when it turned midnight, we were inside the church praying with candles, and I could hear all the kids outside. You know? Oh, what a bummer! <laughs> you, you know, you know what it makes it makes me wonder. Um, when you you hear about people like your parents that were super religious, you, you wonder what made them that way? Like, how did they get so religious? You know, that's a whole other story. (laughs) Really? Um, (laughs) I, um, my mom and dad, um, they're, they were raised atheist. My mother, they were like, my, my grandmother was a spiritualist. My mother worked for her. Are you serious? Her secretary. So people would speak through her and my mom would have a notebook and she would write this stuff down. Wow. my father's family, they were all like anti-church. So when they were pretty young, I guess like they were in their teenage years, people would come to the neighborhood and kind of witness to them about God. Mm -hmm. And you've never been exposed to religion and it's something new. Like you, I don't know, it's easy to convert people like that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's this promise of like everlasting life and all these other things. And I mean, for someone who's young and impressionable, they just kind of fell into it. Right. Um, my mom, not so much as my dad. My dad, you know, he he went the whole way. He went to you know the seminary and theology school and stuff. But um, my mom kind of continued in her path. She she was a curandera, so she was a Mexican healer, and she did a lot of that throughout her life, her oh, entire wow. life. So she maintained that, but she also mixed it with religion. So you know, she would pray Christian prayers and do these remedies and stuff like that. And she was, um, she had a lot of really interesting ways of doing things. I mean, my mom was like candling ears and making kombucha for us as kids when we were like, this is a long time ago before they sold stuff like this stars and stuff. So she was way into like a lot of, um, natural healing and herbs and interesting. So that's that. So, okay. I don't want to jump too far ahead because I do want to hear about more of your your childhood and your and how you got to where you are, but you're do you do you feel that you seem like uh, from I mean I haven't asked you this before, but you seem from your from from your the imagery you use you're into like magic and stuff. I mean, <laughs> to some degree or yeah, some kind I, of sp- a, a type of spirituality that's maybe kind of like magic. And I'm just wondering if that comes from your grandmother. You say your grandmother was a spiritualist. Like maybe it's in in your bloodline because I definitely feel like it's in my bloodline because my oh, mom, yeah. my mom and her side of the family have always been like seen ghosts. Oh, Chet, connected I, to totally. spiritual. Totally. Oh, okay, okay. Wow, that's I mean, interesting. I know, I know you talked about seeing ghosts with your family, and I had that experience as well. Our whole family would see ghosts together. Oh, wow. And we had. Um, experiences that were just kind of 
mind blowing. And we would laugh because it was so crazy. Right, that's how we took it, it too. Happen that it's like we're looking at each other. Like, did you guys see that? That, like, must, that must have been like part of being in the seventies because that's how we handled, handled it as well. Yeah, I mean, it was just so bizarre. And but my mom coming from kind of the the background, and my dad in the same way. Even being Christian, you you have this certain. There's a part of your brain that controls. Um, religious thought and religious experience. And I think all of that is kind of linked into this other oh, dimension, you know, sure, and so sure. you're more open to the spirit world. I think. Yeah, I agree. We had a lot of experiences as seeing some bizarre things in our house and even dreams, sharing dreams. I right. used to share dreams with my mom. I, we had dreams that we were men and that we were best friends, which is really crazy but the craziest part is that our dreams were like kind of modern. So they weren't like in another era. They were, I'll tell you one dream. Me and my okay. mom had a dream. I was, I was about eight years old. And I told mom, I had the weirdest dream. I was this man. I was in my fifties. I'm in this huge airplane flying through the Amazon rainforest and you're with me, but you're a man too. And we're looking at each other and we love each other so much. We were like going to go hunting or something. I don't know what we were doing. <laughs> and our plane is crashing through the trees. It's right before we're going to crash. And we look at each other and there's just this immense amount of love. Wow. That feeling for this person. And my mom would tell me, I have that same dream. Wow. And I myself, okay, well, how does that make sense in the timeline? Like, are there multiple universes? <laughs> that right. Time <laughs> doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, wow, that's really interesting. What a yes, trip! That's pretty cool. And yeah. I do believe that we all tend to find each other over and over in our lifetimes. Um, you meet people, and you're like, "Wow, I feel like I really know this person." Yeah, for sure. Um, somehow or another, you're here, and maybe you're, you needed to recycle or or uh, um, or uh, fix something you didn't do right in the last life. You know, right. Um, sorry, my dog's destroying stuff in the background. That's okay. <laughs> we're dog, we're a dog friendly podcast, you know. <laughs> um, wow. So, okay. So, uh, um, yeah. Okay. That's interesting. So, so let's, how, how did the, uh, childhood progress? Sounds like your, your, your brothers were, uh, really important to your development and exposing yeah. you to all this cool stuff. Yeah, they really were. I mean, without them, I can't even imagine what my life would have been like. I was really lucky. I and mean, they're a lot older than than um, me and my sister. I have a sister who's a year older than me. Oh, okay. uh, but they were a lot older than us. So they, you know, they were kind of our caretakers. My parents were a lot older. They're they're born in the 30s. So they were kind of like my grandparents. So right. my brothers were kind of like my father figures. Mm. And um they, they helped us a lot, you know, and it made life a lot easier for us because, you know, growing up in that kind of environment, it's, it's, um, it kind of breeds rebellion, you know yeah, what I yeah, mean? Yeah, for sure. And, um, <clears throat> if you want luck- to stay sane. Absolutely. L- luckily I was so introverted that, um, I, I stayed out of trouble for the most part, you know? Right. Yeah. I was <laughs> the same way too. Completely, but I didn't like going to parties. I didn't like hanging out with people. I ate lunch in the library. I just kind of was a, I like to be by myself. Right, right. And I grew up as a kid, like I had a lot of imaginary friends. I did, you know, I kind of just did my own thing. I was, um, I, I just like that. I mean, there was not, my sister was the opposite, but you know, I, 
I, uh, I tended to stay home alone in my room. My room was like my sacred place. I made it really cool. I had all this. It was awesome. I love my room. <laughs> That's cool. Your, your first sacred space. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's cool. Um, okay. So were you drawing during, during this, your childhood? Like, were you creating, creating artwork? Yeah, I was actually. So I started drawing when I was pretty young. I actually did the, the, like the, I did these like comic strips for the church bulletin. So every Sunday they print like these bulletins. I would do the artwork for it. These little religious comic strip Mm. stuff. Um, everyone, the thing is they, they thought I was really good. My parents, you know, they told me you're, you're really good at this, but it, it was an era where it's like you, you, you're, raising your kids to be doctors and lawyers and, you know, something that's going to make them money. You don't ever say, Hey, yeah, go ahead and pursue your art. You know, like, especially in Texas, it's, it's not, it wasn't like that right, over there. Right. Um, I would get in competitions and I would, I would win, you know, art competitions in school. Um, but, uh, I never, that seed was never planted in me that it could be a career. Right. Um, I was really into it. I thought it was just something that people did as a hobby and it wasn't until I was in college, um, I, I started, um, college, I was actually a marine biology major and then I was a pre-med major and then I switched my major to nursing at my brother's request. He said I should go into anesthesia later and this was the pathway. Um, so I, uh, started taking like courses in art while I was in my science courses and I started spending a lot more time making art, uh-huh. I, like studying. <laughs> wow. My art teachers are like, wow, you really need to like consider what you're going to do with your life. Like you should probably like think about making art. And um, I kept taking art classes. I started in sculpture and I did a lot of photography. Mm-hmm. And um, and at my final year of university, uh, when everyone thought I was going to go straight into anesthesia school, I uh, got into the San Francisco Art Institute. Oh, really? I just like hightailed it out of Texas months after I graduated. I just like moved to San Francisco. Wow. Entirely opposite life for myself. (laughs) What a trip. (laughs) I know. But the thing was that I figured, you know what? I needed to kind of do this in order to, in in order to sustain myself monetarily. I didn't want to be a burden on my parents and I wanted to, and I always was raised with the idea that, you know, money is freedom. And I never had freedom as a kid. I never got to do what I wanted or have, you know, certain things. So I kind of felt like, you know, I started working at a really young age. I started working at 14 with my dad's permission. And, um, and the, when I started making money, I'm like, whoa, this is awesome. Like I got, I got to do more of this. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can buy docks. I can buy a skateboard. I can right. buy all these things that they wouldn't buy me, you know? So, um, yeah, it really does equal freedom <laughs> in this, you know, in this world it does. It's just the fact. Yeah. So after I got that degree, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to go now do what I've, I'm like passionate about, you know? So you, and, so you finished, uh, nursing. Yeah. I got a degree in nursing, okay. I got a science and nursing, um, from the okay. university of the incarnate word in Texas. You must've been and, doing nothing else. You're doing art and studying to be a, a nurse. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. I mean, I went straight from high school into college. So okay. I was graduated. I was pretty young. I was like 23, 22. And wow. then I went to art school Amazing. straight after. 
and um, always been kind of obsessed with school. So I thought, like, in my mind, I'm like, I'm gonna be in school forever. Like, I'm always <laughs> in school. Just keep taking like getting degrees, and I didn't realize it cost money. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Until the loans started coming in. Um, so how did, yeah. how was art school? I mean, you, so you you weren't working? Were you working at that point as a as a, a well? Your well, what is your anesthet yeah. nurse? I don't know. You had a weird term for what you you do oh, now. Right, right. <laughs> that that came a lot a lot later. Oh, so okay. I was working as a bartender mm. at a strip for five years. Okay, and um and you make good money in places like that. So mm. I did that for a long time. I saved quite a bit of money. I moved to San Francisco. I was doing these like nursing gigs off and on. Um, but once I started art school, I kind of just, that's all I did. I went to art school. I started working at this S and M shop in San Francisco mm. to sustain myself. I wasn't doing nursing at the time. Um, hey, <laughs> <laughs> He's a cool looking dog. <laughs> yeah, a little Anubis. Um, so where was I? Oh yeah. So, um, so I was going to school in San Francisco. Where was I? What was I talking about? You were bartending in the strip club oh, yeah. going to school. So I saved enough money to go out there. Um, I got a job out in San Francisco. It didn't pay a lot, but it was enough to survive meagerly. Um, and uh, once you have a degree, once you have a bachelor's degree, it's really easy to start stacking them up like mm -hmm. <laughs> it only takes two years to like get another bachelor's because you've taken care of all the prereqs you know right um so i know in, uh, in some of your podcasts you talk about artists and you ask them about what their experiences with art school were and was it worth it and all this stuff it was totally worth it it was okay. really expensive but it it was worth it for the experience for the life experience oh yeah yeah i wish i would have gone i mean looking back i wish i would have gone but well, it all worked out. I wish I had gone because it's it's expensive, right? And 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 they they kind of I don't know. Sometimes it's not good to teach people how to do things in art. Mm -hmm. It's better to just like allow that creativity to kind of create itself. And then I don't even really know what the right way to do it is yeah, because I the, came out. I was like, man, I'm like uh, so structured. It's like I I had all this like indoctrination from art school that was like screwing me up. I couldn't paint for like a year and a half after that. That's how my dad was. He's, he, he said he felt like art school ruined him in that way. But you know, I think there's definitely a balance because if you want to, if you really want to express yourself artistically, you have to know the fundamentals, you know? Right. And you've mentioned that a lot of times before, and I totally believe in that. Um, and in music, like you mentioned with someone, but at the same time, I mean, there are some musicians who are so classically trained that they, that's all they can do. They can't right. really like jam, you know yeah, what I mean? Or write. You yeah. Know, they can only I mean, play from sheet music. You know? Right. And, and that's the thing. It's like, you have to find a good medium ground, like mm -hmm. to be creative enough and still like mind the rules and know the structure. Um, and know when to break them. Yeah. Know mm -hmm. when to break them. I'm still um, waiting to break them. <laughs> <laughs> I will break them though. <laughs> I have a lot. I have, I have another few decades. I hope in my life. Left. Well, you have to, you know, once you know the rules, then you can break them. If you don't know the rules and you're right. breaking them, it's not really like you're breaking them because you don't know you're breaking them. <laughs> you know, it's true. it's true. Yeah, it's true. Wow. Okay. So, uh, what, what, what did you start showing right away or what, what happened after that? What happened after art school? Yeah. 
I did, you know, it's interesting because while I was in art school, I started curating shows in San Francisco and um, I was curating at a a gallery in the mission and I was curating kind of in these small galleries around San Francisco. And we, we had like a really good following. We had this like um, group of, of Latino artists that I was um, associated with. And um, I started showing um, quite a bit. I, I feel like I started showing I shouldn't have showed so much when I was that young. Hmm. Like, I feel like I should have allowed myself to, to grow a little bit more. Yeah. Well, that's gotten even worse now because of social media. Yeah. A lot of yeah. people are showing their stuff, I think, too early, maybe, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. But the thing was, I was being invited to do things. So I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Like, you know. Right. I'll, yeah. You can't turn it down either. Yeah. And and. And then afterwards, I'm like, oh, two years later, you've grown so much. And you're like, I shouldn't have shown that stuff. Right. <laughs> Luckily, the internet wasn't that big back then. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. We got away with a lot. Yeah. <laughs> are any of those artists that you showed with that little kind of collective you were showing with, are they, are they still showing? or? Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, uh, I have a lot of friends from San Francisco Art Institute. Some of them are doing really well. I mean, Kende Wiley was in my class. Oh, no way. Really? Yeah. Um, what, what was he I'm, like? He was cool. Yeah. He I mean, seems kind of like a cool guy <laughs> from what I've seen. No, he was someone you went to art school with. It wasn't like anything you ever, you never knew he was going to paint Obama. Right. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I would have been nicer to him. Just kidding. <laughs> um. Yeah, um, I went to school with some pretty amazing, talented people, and a lot of them are still making art. And you know, and we all follow each other on Instagram. It's really interesting too because I remember um, uh, we had Rauschenberg come and speak to us one time, and before he wow. spoke, um, we had we had our president tell us that you know only one percent, one to three percent of you are going to be making art in ten years. And this is an auditorium full of us artists. And I'm looking around. I'm like, I'm going to be fucking one of them. I'm going right. to be- <laughs> You're gonna be one of the good 1%. <laughs> I, I was determined. I'm like, I'm going to be one of that, like one to 3%. But I was like, wow, all these people. And, and they're not going to keep making art. It's so crazy. Like, Yeah. It's weird just having started, like I started in the, the early 2000s showing at Cannibal Flower and stuff. And just, I remember, you know, we were all, what's that? I did too. I was I was doing those shows. Oh yeah, yeah, and and it's like there, we were all on an even playing field, and and you didn't know who was gonna. I just assumed everyone was gonna stick with it. Everyone seemed really into it, but a lot of them dropped off. Yeah, I mean, I I was really good friends, and I still am with um, Nathan Cartwright, who mm-hmm. he runs the Hive Gallery, and um, yeah, when he was awesome. living out there, out out when it was like nothing was out there. When you he know? was li- he was living in the loading dock at, at, uh, yeah. <laughs> at the yeah. hangar yeah. hangar yeah, or whatever it was. Scraping by, it's like <laughs> just see how great he's doing. I remember going, I remember going there and dropping artwork off, and him like just waking up in the loading in dock room. He used to, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nathan. And he's got his him. own gallery now. It's amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. So good to see that. And then I was hanging out with Luke Chu a lot at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we were always hanging out. He was just kind of uh, getting into his bears and his like you know his sad depressed uh, chicken stuff. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I gotta get him on the podcast too. Yeah, you gotta get him on. He's there. a cool he's, guy. It's awesome. Yeah. Wow. So, so yeah. So okay. Uh, 
Where, where, where are we in your life now? We are at San Francisco <laughs> showing work with people you know, and then what? Okay, so um, I stayed in San Francisco for a little while, and I wanted to pursue a life in art. Unfortunately, it's very difficult. Oh, actually, too, in, in San Francisco, I was there 96 to 2001. Mm-hmm. So I was there when the dot-com, like, exploded. Wow, yeah. It was just so insane. People were making so much money. Artists were making so much money. They were, like, becoming overnight millionaires, you know? Right. And it just seemed like anything was possible at that time. And Wow, that uh, must have been a trip. It was a trip. And the thing was that, you know, everybody was looking for creatives, you know, everyone. Mm-hmm. And I had... um started applying to a lot of jobs right after I graduated though I graduated in 2000 it started kind of going down Mm. unfortunately Mm -hmm. and it started getting really hard to find work and uh I applied everywhere oh my god I I was I was like sending out 30 applications a day like just what what were you trying to do what were you applying design I was anything creative I mean layout storyboard anything I was Mm. just like I was just going through all creative like lists online and just applying for everything. Right. Um, and when you're in Northern California, I don't know if you know this, but um, they hate Southern California. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't, I didn't know that. But one, th- one thing though, I do notice I've, I've always said this about San Francisco is they seem very insular. Like they, <laughs> yeah. they have their own, like they, they're, they're self-contained and it's yeah. like, that's cool and everything, but it's like, I don't hear much from San Francisco artists because they're just showing in San Francisco. It seems yeah, like, you know, about Southern California. <laughs> it's because we're, we got sun down here. <laughs> we got better weather. <laughs> yeah. They're secretly pissed off about that. <laughs> so being up there, people are like, Oh, don't move to LA. Don't, they're shitty people. They're superficial. It's so bad. And everybody says that, but everybody <laughs> I know here is so cool. It's yeah, weird. It's- it's, yeah. you know, it depends on, I guess, what crowd. There's people like that everywhere. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, there are, you know, there are those pockets here in L.A. that For are sure. like that. It's not all of L.A. Yeah, and, yeah. It's and, mostly the Hollywood, a lot of Hollywood people. But you know what I noticed just as a little tangent is, like, people that work in the film industry, the crew people, they're super cool. They're all so nice. And they're like, they're not like that at all. It's more like, you know, the super the rich. Yeah, right. the, the super Dude. rich people are douches you know it's just it's like that everywhere yeah yeah it's true well when i was so i was applying for for jobs like i said everywhere and i finally just said you know what screw it i'm gonna start applying in la Mm -hmm. like i never wanted to move to la i always wanted to live in new york i always felt like i had more of an east coast like vibe in me Mm -hmm. and ironically i got hired in la so i uh must have been meant to be yeah the (laughs) dot-com bust happened People were selling Macs for like nothing. So you could go to these warehouses and buy computers and all this like stuff, software. Oh, wow. So I um, I didn't trust banks at the time when I was living in San Francisco. So I had a shoebox like full of money. <laughs> and within a week, I bought a Mac computer. I bought a car because you don't need a car in San Francisco. Right. I bought a car. I adopted a cat and moved to L.A. By myself. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and when I was on a map looking at LA, I saw the valley. At, I saw like Sherman Oaks and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's close to Hollywood. <laughs> so close on a map. I'm yeah, so right. <laughs> nothing so nothing is close to each other in LA. Yeah. Well, I moved out there not knowing. 
so I'm living like pretty far from Hollywood. I was working, I got hired by, um, by a design company that, uh, designed movie posters for Sony and Lionsgate. Oh, wow. And I did that for close to two years. And, uh, um, it was a great experience, and it was the worst experience in my life. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> Did you design any like popular movie posters that people might know of? I was really do really great at doing um um c- like the copy for like films like oh really the corny lines for like <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, Link later did a movie called Tape. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of it with yeah. Uma Thurman. And I came up with a copy. Some things can't be erased. <laughs> oh, excellent! <laughs> wow, that's that's beyond that's beyond graphic design. It seems like that's 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 like advertising, you know. What were you there? Well, the thing is that okay. when I was your design, froze up. you kind of froze up for a yeah, second. Yeah, can you you're, hear me? Yeah, yeah, you're good. Sorry. Okay. When I was doing movie poster design, um, Lionsgate at the time was still doing very independent films. So it wasn't like what it is now. They seem to have a lot more money. Mm -hmm. So that was still like the age of independent films, like low budget, good actors, low budget, Mm -hmm. terrible art for the, for the, you know, for the, um, for the movie posters. Cause they didn't do shoots. They would, you just screen grab stuff. Right. And it was, it was so hard to work with it cause it's so low res and you had to like at least try to get the typography to be like, you know, awesome. Right. But it didn't matter how cool you made something look the, you know, the source the pe- material was terrible. <laughs> the source material was terrible, but the, the, the guys who wear suits who are in charge of the, the creatives. Yeah would always say like, make this head bigger or make this like, you know, and it's like, no, don't, no, please, no. <laughs> you don't have to tell me about that. <laughs> that's, that's, that was my whole career in makeup effects. Yeah. Make the head nine and a half percent scarier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did do a really cool, I had this really cool concept. I don't know if you remember the film Bully, but it was mm-hmm. about um, these kids in Florida Um ended up killing someone but anyone anyway um i did the the um instead of using typography i i i um carved the word bully into my arm so it was like like a cutter oh wow and and i was and i like made it into like a font that was like bleeding like it was really cool oh that is cool they were the kind of kids that would cut too so i was like this is perfect right (laughs) they totally were like what i brought it to work and they're like oh my god what is A good idea. What are we going to do with this? <laughs> you have to make it. Yeah, yeah. 70, up, 72% yeah. shittier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They always want edgier. We need more edge. We right. need more edge. And like, then you oh. give it and then you give it to them and they're like, "What is this?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Story of my life. <laughs> Bad. It was, it was it was like I was like this is not creative work mm. and after a while, I decided, like, I, I really, I can't do this to myself anymore. Um, That's good. You, you only, it only took you, what, two, two years to, to figure yeah. that out? That's good. Yeah. <laughs> it took me a lot longer. Yeah. <laughs> and plus, I, you know what? My, my dream was to bring back the illustrated poster. I know. And, and they were not having it. That's cool. All. Even back then, you were aware that movie posters sucked because everyone was using Photoshop. Yeah. And it's yeah. like that's a thing now, you know, to yeah, do, yeah. to do these posters. 
So that's... I did do a, a Peter Bogdanovich um, illustrated poster for it was like an Art Deco themed movie, um, and he loved it. He was like, "I love it," but of course, you know, it went through other sources, and they're like, "Yeah, we can't do it. It's going to be too expensive." Yeah. And, you know yada 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 all this and i was like okay well so then i ended up doing it in photoshop to look kind of illustrated which is terrible usually when they do that right or, right back then they're much better at it now but um yeah anyway i remember uh, you know guillermo del toro hired me to do the book cover a painted book cover for the strain his book the strain yeah he, he commissioned it and they and they didn't use it of course because oh. they don't use you know paintings on book covers anymore that's terrible. I know. It's crazy. They should, they should come out with an alt, like an alt publication. I know. Great. <laughs> they should. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So what did you do after, <laughs> I'm guessing you must have gotten involved in Cannibal Flower and the LA art scene around then or? Yeah, I did. Um, pretty early on, I was showing at Cannibal Flower regularly. I mean, every single time. That's prob- probably where we first met, right? Probably, yeah, yeah. I don't even remember it, but <laughs> you just seem like you've always been, kind of been there in the scene. Yeah, I, and I'm all kind of, I was quiet as a mouse. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of observing and making art. That's kind of the way I've always been. I'm I'm like a, I work really slow, and not, not in terms of like the speed of how I do things, but like, like in, in terms of my art career, I kind of have always enjoyed letting things grow organically oh. versus forcing myself down the throats of like an audience that's cool because i'm exactly the opposite <laughs> i was i think, I think so well not but when i started it was like i was so desperate to get out of the situation i was in that i was like i hammered so hard on social media i mean i was really i took every art show i could possibly get in i was really like pushing 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 i didn't i guess i didn't feel like i had the the luxury of of for whatever reason of uh, letting it happen. Cause I was trying to make that my main right. source of income. So I'm like, I have to make this happen. So I was a little, I think, I don't know. I approached it a little bit too desperately, but you know, oh, no, that, that'll light a fire under your ass. Yeah. That's <laughs> your source of income. I, I would have been the same way, mm-hmm. but I, again, because I've always been like kind of on the shy side, I, it would have been very difficult for me to to do that, you know, to put right. myself out there that way. And then a lot of times when I did put myself out there that way, people were saying, oh, it's too personal. It's too dark. It's too this or it's too that. I know. I remember like, those days. Remember those yeah, days when I, they used to tell I, us I, it's too I, dark. You like, you know, <laughs> I remember I, I had so many experiences at like, you know, nothing against galleries like Think Space. They've, they've been great to me and they're a cool gallery. But I would show there at a, you know, a pop surrealism show. And I just felt like. I had to explain myself because, you know, I was so out of left field for them. And it was like, you had to justify being there. Same experience. I mean, he showed me a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were great. He's like, it's a little too dark. People have kind of, you know, they've said that. Complained. And then I felt like kind of heartbroken because I'm like, man, like what I'm creating is like. It's me. Yeah, it's a, what is there something wrong with me? <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's why this, you know, coming together in this way with the dark art society and just, you know, trying to foster a little community within the dark art scene uh, is important. So we don't yeah. feel like a bunch of freaks because this is who we are, you know. And I think it's probably the most supportive group of people I've ever. Absolutely. Been I mean, 
I mean, we're, we just came off the tail of Monster Palooza, and you mentioned that with Kyle. And I love that podcast, by the way. And I, I love him. He's yeah, awesome. He's so cool. Yeah. Such a great um, guy. I actually, I have a lot of his skulls, and I, I, I would re- imagine. <laughs> and I have the same favorite one that you have, which is that child skull that's so perfect. Yeah, that adolescent skull. It's oh, amazing. <laughs> I love that skull. So there's something about it. It's just. It really is. Right. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, being there part of like, you know, Monster Palooza started as an experiment for me because I was always hiding and not like really putting myself out there. And I thought to myself, you know what, I'm not getting any younger. I need to like force myself to like talk to people Mm -hmm. and like put myself in this situation. And, um, and when I applied for Monster Palooza, there were, there were some, artists you were there and there was a few other artists there it's grown a lot in terms oh, yeah. of artists that are there now um but but it was kind of a handful of us when i started and um and i was just excited because I, I thought okay i'm gonna be trapped behind this table and i cannot escape and <laughs> people are gonna talk to me and i'm gonna have to talk to them that's the only way to learn though because i was i was the same yeah i was the same way I threw myself into the fire. That's that's the way to do it. Hard in the beginning. And I so had to hard. have a buffer with me. Mm-hmm. I took a friend of mine and she's really outgoing. And she was the one who was talking to people. And then I'd kind of added a couple sentences in. And then <laughs> after a while, you know, I start talking and I had to apologize to people for being so awkward. I'm like, God, what? something's wrong with me that I can't. Like, sometimes I say things and I'm like, why did I say that? I oh, say- yeah too much time in the studio like <laughs> <laughs> you get it gets easier the more you do it though it's like oh, anything you know now i mean you now it's not a problem for me at all like i go there and i could do it alone like right I, you know I've, i don't even know how many times i've done it now it's maybe like six times i think I'm not sure wow, like, yeah but um so I look forward to it now and it, it's really awesome to like connect and talk to people. And um, Yeah. There's no competition there. It's always, everyone's supporting each other. It seems like. Yeah. yeah and, and you know, they share information that, right. you know, they're not going to keep secrets with you and they mm-hmm. tell you how they do things and, and how, how they publish their books, who they use and like, absolutely. And it's always good to share that information because again, everyone's going to do everything differently creatively. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, you're going to, you you mentioned this in the last podcast. It's so true. Like, if if we all sat around and drew the same thing, we're all going to draw it differently, right. you know. And and uh and so, what's the point in keeping secrets? You know, people are going to do something different with it. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Your your so you own take, personal yeah. ex- expression of it is, is what counts. Right. Absolutely. And it's always important to raise people to a higher level. It's like, it, it's just, it's good. It's good to be that way. Yeah. You know? We, we, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. What's that term? It's like the better we all do, the better the scene does, the better we, exactly. we all will do. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And Monster Palooza is awesome because it, you know, I didn't realize it was going to be so great. Um, I, I don't even show really because of these conventions. Like, it's kind of like my, little show you know um i take artwork i take original artwork to them and um it and it's nice to kind of make all the money from it you know what i mean right and uh and then you have your built-in audience yeah like you know it's these people come there like it's right up their alley and oddities flea market is is like even more so like Mm -hmm. i i 
I do that. And, um, and it's definitely like a goth kind of crowd. Yeah. Like, I want to do that. <clears throat> you, you definitely should do it. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. I, I, I got it. I think they invited me to do it last year and I couldn't because of scheduling or something, but I, I would like to do it. Well, it was, it was, uh, it was crazy. It was chaotic. Like That's you what I heard. it was, it's probably better that you come in now because they've worked out some of those kinks, I'm sure. And, and made it a little bit, I don't think they knew they were going to have the turnout that they had. That's what I heard. Um, people couldn't even get in, you know, how cool is that? It's amazing. That there's, uh, that there's <laughs> so many people that are in, into this. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, <laughs> there's two days now, so it's better. You know, you uh, have two chances to get in. Right. And, uh, um, <clears throat> but, you know, you mentioned something, and I don't think I really addressed it. You were talking about magic. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk with you about that because, um, you know, growing up religious and kind of having all these ideas put into your head, you know, being indoctrinated with certain things and, and not really fully ever agreeing with it and having a hard time, like, growing up with with having to, to go to this kind of institution of ideas and not really agreeing with it. Yeah. It's really difficult. And so you end up what, or at least what I did was I started doing a lot of reading on my own and, um, and incorporating different philosophies so that I could maintain that faith mm-hmm. uh, without like, you know, completely losing my mind. Yeah. So, Cause it's real. I, I mean, the, the, I think the need for, spiritual connection is real i think it's in most i think it's in everybody really and it's you know people maybe on the super hardcore atheistic side might find it through nature or something like that but still that kind of deep connection to something beyond is important i think yeah yeah i agree um one of the um philosophies that i have stuck to that i got turned on to when i was about 20 was taoism yeah and me I, too i'm like same. way to, it's like it's it just suits me it's amazing like, yeah yeah same here i got into it probably around the same time yeah that and i was reading a lot of carlos castaneda when i was a kid mm-hmm. really popular in the 70s yeah. um <laughs> whole dreaming thing and and the practicing looking at your hand and like visualizing stuff i've fallen out of that now um i should get back into it but i i feel like i had a lot more free time to like explore those things when i was younger yeah no i wish i i wish i had more time for that stuff now but i've got it down to just where it's like uh meditation is kind of the main thing for me you know right um and even finding time for that's hard but it is it is hard um I am trying to do it more though. And, and it definitely makes a difference and you feel it during the day when you do meditate, you I know? know, I know things just manifest hap- faster and you know, it's pretty, pretty, pretty fascinating. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. You couldn't force yourself to do it when you see how amazing it is. <laughs> yeah. It's like exercise or anything, you know, it's like, yeah. it takes, takes some effort. So, yeah. so, so you, do you feel like you have kind of your own personal philosophy, uh, spiritual philosophy based on all these little different things you've picked up over the years? Yeah, I do for sure. I, and part of it is, is something that I, I, I've kind of created myself and that's been like, um, magic with art. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like every time I know some people say like, Oh, ideas don't just come to you like magically or anything. I I think they kind of do. I know (laughs) (laughs) I've definitely had some experiences where they absolutely came out of nowhere. Yeah, they, I feel like sometimes, and I have, you should see my desk right now. I mean, it's just, I'll kind of show you. Oh, I may not be able to show you. 
it's just full. There's cards everywhere with words. <laughs> oh, cool. Like stream of thought is like always happening. Uh-huh. And I feel like if I don't write it, like there's just, it's going to escape me. It's so we- it's weird that you said that because I was just going through notes trying to find some technical resin that I needed to, to know of. And I was looking through all these notes and I had all these kind of like just quotes that popped into my head. They're really funny and weird. And it's so weird. It was just like half an hour ago. I was looking through those. So I can relate. Believe me. Yeah. It's like looking at your brain, like, to, yep. like I, I left to Egypt and I came back and I'm looking at these words that I wrote and I'm like, Oh my God, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> was I possessed? Like I don't even know where that came from. Um, but getting back to making art with magic, I feel like, um, um, a lot of times when I approach a drawing, it is almost, it's a ritual. Mm -hmm. I am, I don't want to say it's a spell. Maybe it is a little bit of a spell. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's the, the terminology is, it's just, it's the terminology that's tripping us up because I really think when you're doing pure artistic creation, it really is a form of ritual magic. It really is. It is. And, and, uh, you have to make sure, you know, what your intentions are when you're doing things. Um, you spend so much time revolving around this, these canvases and pieces of paper that your energy is just being implanted into this work Mm -hmm. on top of the imagery and, and your thoughts and your intentions. So, you know, when someone sees a drawing, they're not just seeing a 2d image. They're, they're getting like, days and days of this artist energy totally that's kind of reverberating off of this work you know yeah yeah um and sometimes when i make um art i'm doing it kind of to heal my past Mm -hmm. and i i go in there with the intention i use certain images i'm each each part of the drawing kind of represents something and then i can let it go and then you know and then that becomes part of you know i don't have to deal with that anymore right or if I'm looking into the future, I'm like creating my intent. It's like my, um, what is that? Um, that board, like vision board, oh, the vision I, board. Yep. Yeah. It's kind of like that idea. It's yeah, like, this, yeah. this is my intention. I'm going to put it into the world as an image. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the image may not be reflecting at all visually what I'm saying, but totally. it's, it's in there. Yeah, you know exactly. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, for, you know, if, if you were going to get technical about it, it, it's kind of a form of chaos magic. Absolutely. It is a hundred percent, you know, it, totally agree. And it's, and, and that's why I love yet yeah, You're, you actually brought that into my life, even though, like you said, I think a lot of us have been practicing that our entire lives. We right. just, you know, we didn't have <clears throat> the words to describe what we were doing. And, um, we, yeah, I've been practicing chaos magic without knowing it. It's the perfect kind of magic because it doesn't have rules. Right. And, and I don't know if you have listened to Damien Eccles. Oh, yeah, I know Damien. He's awesome. Yeah, he's awesome. He's great. He's a great guy. He's so awesome. Yeah, yeah. Now, I've been on podcasts with him when he used to have that podcast. And um, Yeah, he, he's so cool. I mean, yeah, I, he's amazing. I love that approach where it's like, there are no rules. Mm-hmm. You make the rules. And, and I've always been kind of against this whole idea, like, here's your book. This is how you do it. It's like, well, who are you to tell me how to do it? Right. Like, just a human with well, these ideas, you do, know? Do you know, uh, you know Jason Louv? He, I, I interviewed yeah. him, yeah, from uh, Magic.me. One of the things he said that, that really resonated with me was that it's like, I think the 
the c- ceremonial um, magic and written rules, follow follow the rule kind of magic is he didn't say this, but this is what I took from it. It's it's kind of like uh, for the average person who doesn't have an overt connection to that subject already and they want to learn about it. Whereas he said that artists kind of innately have this this thing in them already. So mm-hmm. it's almost like they don't need the the rule book as much because it's, it's like, you know, artists are creative and that's like a big part of what magic is all about. Right. You know, so yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, it's like to a certain extent, I, I probably think that, you know, these books are um, worthy of time of reading and just understanding like the, the structure of how they do things. Mm-hmm. But I was doing ocean spells by myself um, when I was a, like a young girl and I didn't even know what I, you know, I was just creating symbolism with certain things that meant something to me because they meant something to me and, and that gives it power. You know what I right, mean? Right, right. And anything that you give power is going to be magical. Yeah. You know? So yeah. it doesn't matter. Um, you just have, again, you do have to be very clear in your intent. And I'll, I'll tell you a very, very strange thing. Cool. <laughs> Well, you broke up. There. What, say say that again. You mall. broke up for a second. What was that? Oh, I was at the mall in okay. Texas. Okay. Okay. <laughs> when malls were really popular. <laughs> yeah, right. When malls were new. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, um, I was wearing a turquoise shirt and some black pants. And this man came up to me and he asked if he could take a picture of me. And he said, um, I'm, I just want to tell you that you need to be careful what you wish for because you're going to get exactly what you want. Wow. And he said, so you need to be very clear in what you wish for. And he was a nice man. I was young, so I was, I was like not afraid of him. Like how, when how old are you? Maybe like uh, 18, mm-hmm. 17. And um, when I was 20, about 21 or 22, I was bartending at that strip club. And that same man came in. No way. He said, do you remember me? And I said, no, I'm really bad with faces, by the way. I think I have that illness where, like, you don't recognize people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or names. Um, and he said, um, I met you at the mall some years ago, and I told you you need to be really careful what you wish for. And I said, oh, my God, I do remember you. He pulled out of his wallet that picture of me, and he had been holding it in his wallet for years. Yeah. And he gave it to me. Wow. And I have that picture and it's the craziest shit. That is insane. And you know, I know it sounds really simple, but it was so true because there have been times that I've like put my like ideas into the world and I do get them, but they're kind of fucked up a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because I wasn't clear in my intent. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, uh, definitely. You know what I'm talking oh, about, Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah, it's important. Yeah, yeah. You can, yeah, you can, <laughs> yeah. That's one really cool thing that I learned from the, uh, the, 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 from Jason and the magic.me, um, experience on uh, the, the, the less, the, the kind of class he taught on, um, chaos magic. Yeah. And this was like, oh, I get it. This is why there's, there's rules. And the, the, the main thing I got out of it was <clears throat> you do like before you're going to do a, a spell or, or whatever the word is, you know, a th- an intention. You want to manifest something. You you do a, a 
Oh, shit. Oh, first you do a... I'm trying to think. <laughs> you do a divination on the um the subject like you, you like i do i'm not like an iching guy i've always been iching over tarot it's like i've always kind of felt connected to that so you do an iching role like you you have your intention you're and you kind of do the iching role and you go okay this is my intention is is it a good idea to do this and then I you do iching. yeah it's amazing it's amazing <laughs> yeah uh I was uh, I was introduced to I Ching by a a, a guy. I don't, you you may have heard me say this before. This guy Roger Fouts, who taught this chimp Washo how to yeah. do sign language. Yeah, and yeah. it's amazing. This perf- total academic guy was like, I Ching is always right. I don't know how to explain it. it. But, I know it's so crazy. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but but um, you do uh you you figure out your intention, then you do the um, the the I Ching or a divination to see what it says. And that, and if that, and if it's like a bad idea, it might tell you, you know, it might tell you to clarify, or you, maybe you shouldn't do this right now. If it's a good idea, you, um, it gives you like the go ahead almost in a way to do it. So it's almost like a like a little safety valve to make sure that you don't put something crazy out in the world or something that's going to come out and bite you in the ass. <laughs> There's another thing I'm forgetting too, though. There's like a three step thing. It's it's that a divination. And something else, and then the actual spell. But anyway, it's, it, um, I haven't yeah. done it in a while. You're so to listen to that when we're good. <laughs> yeah, right. You're taking the whole whole class. Yeah, it's it's really um, it's it's not even that long. I think it's a it's a series. It's maybe an hour or two of series of lectures, basically online lectures. He did. I, I I'm on it. Oh. I have- I haven't gone through the whole thing. I just don't know how I I'm kind of doing it one by one. I just don't know. I haven't even looked at the end to see how long it takes. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I, just, I just kind of put them on without, yeah. you know, really writing notes or anything. And then, and then I went back and listened to him more intently after I just kind of had him on in the background. Yeah. It's pretty, he's pretty incredible. Yeah. He's I, great. He's really I, great. I definitely enjoy them. Um, it's nice to to be able to like listen to people like that him Damian Eccles who like you can really stand behind like 100% like what they're doing yeah, you know Yeah 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 they're not full of shit for sure Yeah <laughs> for sure Okay so so anyway that's great I'm glad you brought the the, the magic thing up that's that's kind of what I expected <laughs> to hear Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I- I, I was wondering how many I haven't heard that many people talk about it in your podcast so I'm wondering how many artists actually do it I, I bet a lot of people do it's a good question yeah um, you know since we've been doing the since Mike left and we started doing the interview the it's now the interview format um, I guess it hasn't come up as much we used to talk about it a lot early on but yeah it's a good question um, they're doing it whether they know it or not right. You know, right. it's like how many how many of them know they're doing it is the question. Right, right, right. What are they putting out there? They're putting yeah. out monsters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how did you let, let's talk about your 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 day job? Can we talk about that a little <laughs> bit? Because that is another fascinating aspect of you as an artist as a, as a person. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> like I said, when I left off with my bachelor's of science. Oh, <laughs> the dog and cat are fighting. Yeah, She's got sorry. these amazing, this amazing dog and this amazing looking cat, and they just had a little argument there. Looks like. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, oh, okay. <laughs> David. Um, so when I left off with my bachelor's in science, um, 
I had planned on going to Columbia within three years because you need three years of experience to go into their anesthesia program. Mm -hmm. Uh, But of course I went to art school and I started living and I got distracted and I kind of fell off of like the plan. And, uh, so I did a lot of things since then. Uh, when I quit that, uh, job with Sony and Lionsgate, I started doing hospice nursing. So I would drive around all of LA and take care of people who were dying. Hospice is amazing. It is amazing. And it, it was the most rewarding job I've ever had. And I, I bet, would probably quit into my life again um, once I retire from anesthesia. Uh, I did pain management. So basically, <clears throat> I managed all of the L.A. area. I would drive to people's homes. I would sit. I would talk to them. I would make sure that they weren't having any pain. Um, and um, I would just, you know, get to know them. Mm-hmm. And some of them had some of them were really young and had cancer. Some wow. of them were old at the end of their life. Um, some of them had been popular and famous. They had pictures. They were, I mean, we're in LA. There are so many people that get forgotten after time. It's incredible. The people that you meet. Right. And, um, so that, that experience was amazing. It was really interesting to be around people who were dying. I was on call 24 hours a day. So, um, when someone would, um, what they call be actively dying, I would be called to the home and I would be there and guide the family through the patient's death until they died. And then, and then, uh, me and a friend of mine who is a chaplain, we would tag team this usually. And, um, we, we saw some pretty incredible things when people are dying. It's one of those, like, it's like other dimensional, like experience that happens. Yeah, absolutely. That everybody dies the same. Mm -hmm. Like, we all think we're so special and we all die the same. Yep. Like, it, and the, the way that we die, the stages of death are the same. Yeah. So fascinating. It and, is. and then to know when it's imminent, like you get really good at knowing when a person's going to die and you can literally like, when you've been doing it long enough, you can say this person is probably going to die in the next six hours or this person's going to live two weeks or maybe three days, you know? Wow. Um, so, um, after the patient would die, uh, we would put a tag on their toe the way you see them when they go to the morgue. We'd mm-hmm. wrap them in the bags, and morgue would come. More uh, mortuary services would come pick them up. Wow! So it was it was a thing. It's I'd heavy. Certificates, yeah, it was heavy. Then afterwards, we'd usually go to a park and kind of decompress with each other. I bet. And, but I was thirty at the time. Mm-hmm. And that's some heavy shit to be going through every single day when you're that young. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. And I did that for a couple years. And then, um, I got tired of seeing people dying and I wanted to see people getting well. <laughs> I went into, um, ICU. So I was working as ICU nurse for five years. That's also and- intense though. <laughs> <laughs> I worked- I, you know what, Chet? One thing about me is I run towards chaos. That's, <laughs> if I had a Native American name, it would be runs towards chaos. <laughs> like, it, there can be an accident and people are running away from it. And like looking for like the person who's been hurt or right. if there's a fire, I will like run into it. Like I just am kind of wired to, to respond, I guess, wow. to stuff like that. And, um, so I did uh, cardiothoracic ICU for uh, five years. Then I did cardiac cath lab. And uh, and then I decided, you know what? I need to finish this thing I, I said I was going to do where I was going to go to anesthesia school. 
so I applied to anesthesia school here in LA. Um, and, uh, I got in and I was like blown away because it's like winning the lottery. It's really hard to get into school like that. Really? And, uh, I, uh, most intense experience of my life. I mean, it was like being at, in the military, you know, uh, intensive study, two years, nonstop, no breaks, no nothing. It's just like you live, breathe, eat anesthesia. How did you sur support yourself during that time? <sighs> School loans. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You're not allowed to work. They don't let you work. I can't imagine you even would have time if it's that crazy. Yeah. You can't work. I, um, <clears throat> I, um, had to take out loans to live. I mean, I feel bad because some people have mortgages and they had to take out loans to pay their mortgage. Some people saved money, but I'm not, I'm not very good about like seeing the future that way. Like I didn't know I was going to get into the school. It's just like, I got in and I'm like, Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. go to the next <laughs> get them, got to figure out a way to make it work somehow. <laughs> yeah. So I went to anesthesia school and anesthesia in itself is magical. Yeah. I mean, it is the most incredible job. I mean, when people are like, Oh, why don't you do art full time? Uh, you know what? I love doing anesthesia. Wow. I love science. I love biology. I get to see people being opened on an operating table every day and seeing like things that people aren't privy to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, it's like a secret society in a way. Like, yeah. It's, and, it's so mysterious too. the whole like anesthesia thing oh, seems so mysterious and kind of almost R related the psychedelic realm oh, in a way i'm still a bartender basically you know yeah <laughs> i uh i get to i i see my patients um i speak to them for a little while and and then i give them a drug that makes them forget everything from that point forward so it's like it, it, they don't remember you afterwards you know right Maybe they will some of them do but like you're this invisible entity you come in you're the one they want to see most of, most of all, of all the people you're, you're like, there's the, where's anesthesia. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't even have names. They call us anesthesia. Where's anesthesia. Wow. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> we're just like a group with a lump of people. Um, so yeah, we talk to our patients. First drug we give, uh, it's an amnestic medication. So it, it makes you forget everything from that point forward. Oh, weird. And then we take you into the room. It's nice because you don't want to take a person into a in, into that room where you see knives and all kinds of, you know, yeah. it, it's pretty daunting, you know? So it's nice to kind of help uh, lube them up before they get in the room. Right. Get them in the room, connect them to monitors. Um, it's just such a cool thing because we have drugs for everything and our drugs work fast and they work, they're effective, they're reversible. And they're just like, it's incredible. The other aspect that's pretty amazing about it is that you're taking someone to the brink of like, not death, you're taking them to a, the depth of anesthesia is like, their vital signs are stable, but if you administer too much, you can take them there really quickly. Right. I mean, if you're not vigilant. Yeah. It's like, um, so basically, you know, we give we give very powerful drugs. We give a paralytic that stops you from moving. Right. We give narcotics. We give um, sedative. We give an anesthetic drug, propofol, or as everyone calls it now, Jackson juice. It's like so terrible. Oh God, yeah. 
<laughs> and he's afraid of it because they're like, oh, this is what Michael Jackson died from. It's like, yeah, but you don't use it at home. You're yeah. To- <laughs> <laughs> you don't use I'm, it because you can't get to sleep. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just and, and the cool thing is you're a gatekeeper because you're sitting there at the head of the bed watching the patient, watching their vital signs. You can detect while they're sleeping variations in their vital signs that indicate different things. So it's very intuitive. It's very, um, it's very magical. It's, wow. it's pretty bizarre. And then while you're doing that, someone's cutting open this patient, like taking things out, you right. know, it's, or putting things in or, you know, yeah, it's amazing. It is really amazing. Wow. So you love your job. I love my job. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> and you know what? It affords me the, um, I, it affords me the kind of life that, that I don't have to stress out about artwork. Yeah. I can do what I want. You know what? People don't like it. It's what I need to make. You know what I mean? Like I'm not living off of it. Luckily enough, I've been making money off of it and I have like an incredible amount of supportive people who follow me. And like I mentioned before, I, I grew my Instagram organically I, um, I don't discount things. I, in the beginning I did give away a few things, but I stopped doing that. I felt like it cheapened my artwork to be giving it away. Mm -hmm. I, um, I basically just let it do what it was going to do. You know, I didn't have followers in the beginning and, um, the people who do follow me are so loyal to me. I mean, that's it. I don't even feel like I have that many followers, but the ones I do are just so supportive. Well, well that's what we talk about on the, the episode that's going to go up uh, tomorrow and Wednesday. The one, the, the Josh G from creep machine um, yeah. talking about Instagram. He was, you know, he, he was saying how the amount of followers you have doesn't matter. It's the amount of engaged followers, the people that actually take yeah. the time to like your stuff and comment and interact with you. Those are the valuable ones, you know? And for me, it's like, you know, 1500 people maybe that are actually liking my posts out of a hundred over a hundred thousand. It's like, those are the important ones, you know? And that's what matters. If you have ones that are totally into your work and will support you. Yeah, it is. It, It really is important. And the thing is that, um, I, I daily get so many messages from people and, they really take care of me. Like the people who follow me are always looking out for me. I know. It's amazing, right? They, they tell me when someone's like stolen my shirt. Oh yeah. Like, I remember that happened recently. <laughs> oh my God. Like it's constant. Like there's someone always trying to make a buck off of my pentagram hands. It's mm-hmm. like, um, but they're always, you know, trying to, and they even send me links and they're reporting it. And they're like, there's yep. a little, army. it's a little dark army. They like, <laughs> yeah, after these people like it's so sweet you know it is. and i try to respond to as many of as many people as possible in my messages just because we aren't who we are without these people you know what i mean like absolutely we, these are these people like they expect something from you and they trust you right and you're providing them with something that is hopefully going to inspire them or, or, or give something to them at least somehow, you know? Yeah. They're part of the artistic process. It's like an artist alone without people to look at the work is it's not fully realized as an artist. It's like an artist and the artist's fans or followers or whatever, whatever you want to call them. 
that's like the complete circle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So we need them as much as they need us for the artwork. Definitely. You have to be good. Yeah. You have to be good to your, your fans. I mean, I'm so grateful. It's like, especially when you, when you start off with not that many, Mm -hmm. really appreciate it. Like when you have it and it's just like such a man, it's like, so amazing that people buy my prints and like my artwork. It's just, it's mind blowing or that they get it tattooed. Like so many people get my work tattooed. That It's like, I, I, it's so crazy to me. (laughs) It's cool. (laughs) It's so cool. I'll be gone. And these kids are going to still be around there with like my hands on them. You know? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, 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 it's amazing. I, you know, my, I think perhaps, you and I appreciate it, especially because we got it later in life. It's not like we came right out of high school and started getting this following. That's how I feel anyway, because I didn't start doing any of this social media and stuff until I was, you know, in my probably mid to late thirties. So it's like, you really realize, especially I was trying to make this big career change. It's like, these are the people that will sustain you, the people that are supporting you, buying your work. And then you like go, oh, my God, they're everything, <laughs> you know, without them, I would be nothing. Yeah. You know, it's oh, yeah, definitely. And you definitely have such a great persona. You're very approachable and you're always so kind to people. And well, it just I, I appreciate them. That That's how much I appreciate them. I realize it's, you know, can't take that stuff for granted. No, no, you can't. You really can't. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's just funny how these conversations twist and turn. It's what I love about the podcast, you know? Yeah. I don't even know where we, we turned from somewhere. I don't even know. Just being, uh, and, uh, what's your technical term for your, your profession as a, it's not anesthesia, anesthesia, anesthesia. It's a hard word. You say it. It's a, it's a nurse anesthetist. So basically what it nurse is, is a undergraduate degree. Um, so I went to undergrad for five years and then you have uh, two solid years of a uh, master's program and, um, and you're doing clinicals throughout that time. Uh, now it's a PhD program. So now it's a doctorate's program, oh, wow. which I mean, a lot of people are kind of because anesthesiologists and nurse anesthetists do the same thing. It's there's it's it's always hard when two different people are doing the same job because they're like, oh well, um, these people go to school longer. These people don't go to school as long. But now both of them are going to school as long. So it's like, why not just be the doctor then? Right, <laughs> why not yeah. Go the doctor route, you know. Right. But a lot of people um, who are nurses, <clears throat> it's kind of a natural progression. Uh, anesthesia started in nursing. It's the oh. only. Um, profession really that doctors do where they're sitting by a patient administering medication. Doctors typically don't do that. Like it, historically, right. you know, it's a nursing job, Interesting. but, um, uh, but it, 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 um, definitely, you know, became something else once, um, <clears throat> once, um, the medical association created it as a, a profession for doctors. So it's kind of a weird thing, but, um, we all work together. We're a team. Right. Um, People usually don't realize who's giving them their anesthesia because they're under anesthesia. You know mm. what I mean? Um, but yeah, it's uh, a lot of trust you have to put put it put into someone you know that you okay. don't know. <laughs> and it's such a frightening thing. I mean, people are so afraid of it. Mm, I um, bet people are afraid of of you know having a spinal, having someone put a needle in their back, and they think they're going to get paralyzed, or they right. think 
these misconceptions about about anesthesia. And when you're not in control of yourself, of course, you're going to feel afraid. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, God, what if I do something weird or say something weird that everybody does? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's the fun part. Yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) I bet you must hear all kinds of crazy stuff. They always say something funny when they're going to go to sleep, like after giving the drugs. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Add a little bit of levity to the, to the situation. Totally. <laughs> so you, what, what's the gallery? I saw a big write-up on you. Oh, uh, yeah. You were trying to remember it in their last podcast. Yeah. Lethal Amounts. What's Lethal Amounts. That's it. Yeah. Um, yeah what's, Dan, Danny runs it. What's um, the story with them? I, I, I may have shown there one time or something. Did you? I may, um, maybe in a group show or something. I saw a, p- a picture in this one article that someone posted and one of my paintings was in it. And oh, really? I, yeah. And so, you know, I, there was a period where I was like having my kid take artwork to a gallery that, you know, maybe it's something Jeremy Cross curated or something. Maybe. Yeah. Um, Danny's kind of uh, doing it a little bit more. Um, I think he was, he's always kind of done exhibits, but he's, he's uh, really kind of investing more into it becoming a, you know, a, a gallery that's exhibiting art regularly. Right. And, um, and he's, al- he's always kind of shown very subversive artwork, like super, like, I guess what most people would say is like re- really not quite acceptable. Mm-hmm. Like transgress, transgressive stuff kind of. Yeah. And he did like that John Wayne Gacy show, like very controversial stuff. Right. You know? And, um, <clears throat> and he also does a lot of like the, like S and M and kind of, shows photography shows and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but uh, so they yeah he asked me to do a show last year and i had never had a solo show wow so um i agreed and i i um i was really excited because i mean no one's really asked me to do a solo show really (laughs) no copra hasn't asked you no, I, they, I, they love Copper loves you. Erica just yeah, raves does. about you <laughs> awesome. every time you come up. I love them. I know. They're I, amazing. Uh, maybe one day. Yeah. Um, but uh, I I've had shows like with one other person. I've done like two person shows. I've done a lot of feature shows, um, but I've never had a whole gallery to myself. Right. And and that can be pretty frightening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as, as I mean, you know, you know how that is. It's like you're you're hoping like someone comes to your party, <laughs> right, right? Because when there's no other artists there to like bring their people, right? That's true. Like, well, who's gonna come? Like, yeah. um. So luckily, we got some really good write ups. Um, the L.A. Um, Times wrote it up and L.A. Weekly, and they did this kind of spotlight on the gallery and the artwork. Mm-hmm. And it's it's funny because, you know, when you're making art, you it's kind of like little sentences. Like you put them on the easel, there's a sentence, and it kind of creates this next sentence, and you're like kind of creating a story. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a concept album, and each painting right. is a song. <laughs> yeah, and, and the thing is that you, you keep putting them aside – and, and it's at least in, for me, I, I hadn't seen them all together. You know what I mean? Mm, so oh, I wow. Seeing the whole story together. It's amazing seeing the first time you have a solo show and you see everything up on the wall. It's, it's a pretty amazing experience, man. 
most incredible experience. I mean, I was so happy. You have no idea. Like I, I rarely pat myself on the back, but I was like, wow, I made all this yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah. Like this is, this my is me. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this is me up there on the walls. <laughs> I was like, wow, look at everything. Cool. Like, and it's all about death. You know, it's like, you don't really get to see that whole story at one time. And I'm like, when I was titling the show, I'm like, well, what am I going to call this show? Like, I, I I was like having a really hard time. I'm like, oh, I'll just call it Muerte, mm. which is death in Spanish. Yeah. It's like, that's perfect. Yeah. It covers everything. Yeah, you know what I mean? exactly. It's perfect. It's what my life has always been about. It's what my work has always been about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, this is fitting. This is perfect. Um, and it was such a great show. I'm sold like half the show, which Whoa. for me is a really big deal. That's like usually what I do. <laughs> it's, and, um, it's like half the show. Some afterwards. So it was, like, I, I have very little artwork left. Like now That's I have right. to kind of create some inventory. Um, it was, it was, uh, it was very validating. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and humbling and validating. And so great to see like people coming from like out of town and right. It was really cool. Yeah, yeah. It's an amazing experience. I wish I could have gone, but I think that was during the time when my car was dying. I had like the last two, three years, I don't know how long it's been. My car has been like, I can't I can't drive it past, couldn't drive it past a certain point, yeah. and, I, and I couldn't afford to get a new one. I finally got a new car, so it's like, oh, I nice. can go places now. But awesome. yeah, I wish I could have gone, gone to see that. Um, yeah, that's cool. That's cool, because he's, you know... They're kind of lethal amounts is 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 another primarily dark art gallery in LA in the in, in the LA area and you don't hear about them as much. I think they're kind of a retail store as well. Well, the front they have shirts. Danny makes a lot of really cool shirts, and um, <clears throat> he'll do like a shirt for the show. So we did like a limited edition shirt for oh, my cool. show. And he, he and might be a good guy to get on the podcast too, right? Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Really? get him on i don't think he's, i've met him before you're you're gonna love him he's oh, cool. got some great stories Excellent. yeah he'd be great <laughs> cool um, he um he he was doing a lot of silk screening he does it all in the back he's got a really awesome collection of like old punk stuff and um and then so the front he's he's converted into the full gallery now okay. and oh, okay. shirts right in the front well, what's his um, last name um Oh my God! I put you on the spot. No, no. <laughs> you said you're bad with names. <laughs> I do that to people I've known me. for ten years. He's gonna kill me. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. At least you knew Danny. <laughs> what this? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> I funny. believe me. I've done the same thing in interviews, <laughs> especially when someone says. What are your favorite artists? My mind just blanks. And it's like, I'm friends with most of them and I can't even think of their names. I do it on a, I do it on a daily basis, seriously. But that's cool, yeah. It was so cool to see that write-up. It's like, wow, this, is, this, this, this work is finally getting, you know, you don't want to say mainstream acceptance, but it's like it's being taken seriously within the art community. Right. You know? That was really, really cool. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, I did get offered another solo show. <clears throat> um, I'll mention it 
you know, because it's in two, 2020. I'll mention it a little bit later as okay. it happens. But, um, I mean, I've I've had so many great opportunities that have come from that, and um, <clears throat> not from that. Sh- uh, an- another show that I actually recently had that was Liz McGrath actually helped make happen. Now, what show was, was that? Uh, the show at the Halle St. Pierre Museum in France. Oh, wow. I didn't even know about uh, that. It, uh, it's up right now. It went up in March. <clears throat> oh, that's cool. She's doing things. She's doing more more stuff. Because she was kind of out of the scene for a while. No, um, I think she's emerging again. She, yeah. she's, she's, uh, she's, I think, in her uh, metamorphosis. Right. Yeah, yeah, we had her on the podcast. She talked all, yeah, I know. all about it. Yeah. <clears throat> I love Liz. She's awesome. Yeah, she we is. Have, she's we have very similar traumatic religious experiences. Oh, yeah, that's right. So it's always nice to meet fellow uh, survivors. <laughs> survivors, yeah. Um, she actually, we went out one day, um, Dan Quintana, her, myself, uh, Scott Hove, a few other artists, um, and uh, and she had introduced me to Anne and Julianne, who were doing the tattoo exhibit at the Natural History Museum. Oh. If you recall that, they had that really big tattoo exhibit there. Right, yeah. So Anne and Julianne are from France, and they do these really big shows at the Halle St. Pierre Museum, and Mark Ryden's shown there. A lot of dark artists have shown there. Oh, cool. And um, so I met them that night, and um, <clears throat> they asked me to be in this show and, and in a couple of their publications. So that was really awesome. Yeah. Um, That's great. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool. I hear I've I've heard from uh, a lot of pe- a lot of people who are from Europe. I just talked to someone a few days ago who lived in uh, London, and he was saying um, that dark art is just like so far behind in the culture. It's like they're not into it, generally speaking. Like L.A. is kind of like the um, United States and Los Angeles specifically, and New York. It's like where it's at. Yeah. And, and and you'd think that it would be the opposite. Like you'd think that Europe would be. I mean, that's for Giger. Think Berlin, right? Yeah, you'd think that, that that would be like the home of dark art, and it's like they're not into it. Dark art. It's crazy. Yeah, it's yeah, it's true. I um not really sure why. I feel like maybe Japan might have a little bit of it, um, hmm. but I think it's probably a little bit more poppy dark. Yeah. Um. Um. I think Portugal might have some. Really? Some they're 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 into it because actually when I was visiting Portugal, a lot of people recognized me out there, and it was pretty weird. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I was like, okay, this is really bizarre. I'm on the <laughs> other side of the world, and like people know this art. Like Instagram is so insane how you can connect with people all over the world. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, it's a game changer. Every time I've traveled, like someone will write to me. Even Egypt, when I was there, somebody followed me. Someone was following me and they're like, you're in Egypt. Oh my God, come hang out with us. It's like, uh, how cool is that? I didn't know Egypt allowed you guys. to follow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what's up with Egypt? I was watching all your stories when you were traveling through Egypt and it looked so amazing. Yeah. You were, you were posting everything as like stories on Instagram, I believe. Right. Yeah. I mean, I get exasperated even thinking about it because it's, um, I, I can't find words for it. Wow. Um, so, you know, I grew up kind of obsessed with Egypt. Like I had my little King Tut Man. statue in my room. I had like books and books of like the cats and the mummies and, and, you know, 
when you're little, like the shows that come out on, on television kind of foster that, you know? Um, so having that background growing up and kind of always surrounded, Egypt has always been surrounded by like a conspiracy theory and like this really kind of mystical kind of like energy. yeah. Yeah, for sure. And not only that, I was also, when I first started painting, I was very much into that. I, I, um, I painted a lot of Mayan and Aztec imagery into my artwork mm. and I painted a lot of Egyptian architecture into my artwork. And as a matter of fact, I walked through the columns that I painted in one of, when I was in Egypt and it was fucking crazy. <laughs> I bet. Like, you know, like it was so crazy to be in this place that I've just like held so high in my mind that I've always wanted to go to that. I thought I would never, ever have the opportunity of going to, mm-hmm. um, when we first landed, well, I'll tell you the reason why I went there. Yeah. Um, so my husband, he, um, he does television and oh, I didn't um, know that. he, uh, he's worked on ancient aliens. What's he's he worked do? On, um, well, this particular show, he was the executive in charge of this show. So he was producing this show with a few other people. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know. I knew and, that. Um, but he's worked, um, on some pretty cool shows. Like ancient aliens is like a really cool show. I used to love watching that. Yeah he's just had such a fascinating life with like the, the different projects that he's had the opportunity to work on. You know, he did Gene Simmons family jewels and he did like some, he toured with them and like, wow. it, he's done some cool stuff. He's I bet got he really some cool stories. <laughs> and he's got so many stories. You have no idea. He's just like, um, I call him adventure pants. He's like, he, like, he, he, like, he has these adventure pants he wears when he goes out and does <laughs> pockets all over the place. Yep. Um, so he, um, he was um, approached by his boss to go scout Egypt last year um, because they had this discovery, this grand discovery that they wanted to expose. And um, so he went and scouted it and came back and sold the idea and Discovery bought it. And um, and then he went out there in January and they started prepping to do this live show on Discovery Channel with Josh Gates where they opened up a a tomb live on television. Oh, wow. So they opened it on April 7th live, which is crazy. <clears throat> it was awesome. And they yeah. like, they opened the sarcophagus and it was a intact mummy. Perfect. Had gold. It was, it was beautiful. That is so cool. It's amazing. Anyway, that's a little bit background. Why, why I went to Egypt. Okay. Um, why it was possible for me to go to Egypt. And he had spent so much time out there that a lot of the families that were out there said, you know, we, we've been away from home so long we should have a tour of the families and friends to come out and visit Egypt. Mm-hmm. And I got to spend three days with him. Um, he was working, you know, the rest of the time. So I didn't see him for very long, but, um, we had a 10 day tour started in Cairo. We went to the pyramids of Giza. We had, um, Zahi Hawass, um, and Mustafa Waziri who were like royalty for archeology span over there. Oh, cool. And, they gave us tours and talks and we went, um, to went to pyramids of Giza, we went to the red pyramid, the step pyramid. We went to the Sphinx. I put my hands on the Sphinx. Wow. Um, I ran to it. I have a video. <laughs> my husband's laughing. I ran. I was the first person. I was running towards that Sphinx. <laughs> I was like, my heart was beating. Um, I'm sure you felt an energy there, like kind of a <laughs> spiritual energy, magical energy oh. there. Which I almost passed out a few times. I got to the bottom and my husband's like, are you okay? You don't look well. I'm like, 
I felt like all tingly and like I was about to pass out and I got wow. scared. So I'm like, Oh my God, I'm about to pass out. <laughs> <laughs> happened, it happened three times. Um, it happened after I saw the death mask of King Tut, wow. um, which I'd only seen in books. Um, I didn't actually get to go into the tomb. My husband went into the tomb of King Tut. He's never left the tomb. He's never been taken out. They've always kept him in there. Right. Um, but after I saw the death mask, and the the museum, the you know the Egyptian museum. I I think I was just so overwhelmed with these images and the energy that they emit. You know, they give you a lot of energy. They take a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. When you step out of that environment, it just like kind of just I don't know. It like drained me. Like wow. I just I was like I I feel like I'm really not going to be well. Um, it's, it's a lot to take in visually, and I think as an artist. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to sound cliche, but we're really sensitive mm-hmm. to what we see. It's true. And um, I feel like sometimes when I go to art shows, like, for instance, like when you go to like La Luz and you see like the old show, the kitchen sink, everything with the kitchen sink, it's like, oh my God, there is too much stuff in here. Like right. I, I'm i going to have an anxiety attack. Yeah. Like I can't take this much information in at one time. Yeah. Um, Conjoined. <laughs> Conjoined is like that. <laughs> Um, just when it's stacked it's like all that artistic energy is like oh my god i have to leave this room like i do it i just can't need to see one thing at a time you know um it was kind of like that being in egypt where you're like seeing these magnificent things and you need time to absorb it and and we were back to back seeing amazing things so i can't take this um going into temples and tombs and riding camels and horses. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I post a, a lot of. Well, I'm sorry. You, you get, we got out of sync there okay. for a second. It says poor uh, connection. What, what, what'd you say? You po- post what? Oh, I didn't post as much as I saw. Oh, I just, right. It, it was so much was happening that I was like, rather experience it than take pictures of it and post yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. and, and I did make a point of like kind of just standing there and looking and absorbing and, and uh, really feeling it, you know? Um, it's funny because you looked like you belonged there just with what you were wearing and everything. It was like, it just was so fitting. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty bizarre. It was pretty, pretty bizarre being there. Cause I was like, God, I feel really weird. I feel like I belong here. Right. <laughs> Yeah, my my mother-in-law went with uh let's see. She went with it might have been after after we worked in China. I was in China for like 4 months working on a film, me and my wife. And she brought the kids over to China for a while to visit. I think on the way back after we wrapped maybe or may, maybe not, but she took her and my friend Jim Beinke, who I've interviewed in the podcast before, he's in the documentary. He's the guy that kind of got me into effects, and he was the guy that we did all that crazy Ouija board stuff with. He was He's like a super e- Egypt freak. Like He has one room that's made up like his Egypt room in his house. It's all painted. It's got the Eye of Horus up there. It's so cool. He's got like he's got themed rooms in his house. It's pretty cool. Um, but he, he went... With my him, my mother in law, because that's how we met him is through my mother in law at uh, art school. Because she has like two masters, or she had two masters degrees in wow. in arts and teaching, but um, they met at Cal Arts. But they took they went and took 
my two kids and one of my kids' best friend, who's kind of like our third kid that's just been around. And uh, they went, they did all the touristy stuff, went to all the tombs. And, and so I've got all these pictures of my kids and my mother-in-law and Mikey all, you know, riding camels and stuff. It's like, they said it was the most amazing experience of their lives. Yeah. Well, I think it's not like a regular, it wasn't a vacation. I'll tell you that. Yeah. It's not a vacation. I bet. It was exhausting. Yeah. Um, mainly because of the reason I told you it requires so much energy to go to these places. Um, it, it, it was, um, it's weird to see people, you know, in that environment. Cause it's just so. Yeah. It's like seeing them on the moon or something. <laughs> it's so rare, you know, it, it was an experience. It wasn't, it wasn't, it really wasn't a vacation. So it was really, really neat to be able to share that because I know that I, Everyone I, I talk to or who's in my circle of friends loves Egypt. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of artists do. And it was something that I thought, this is a really cool experience to share with people. Yeah. You know, like, it, it's, it's, I don't know. You, you saw the pictures. <laughs> yeah, no, it looked amazing. It looked amazing. It was just a trip. I was like, whoa, what you doing in Egypt all of a sudden? <laughs> I, I know. I'm wondering too. Even my husband, I was there. He's like, what are you doing in Egypt? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a once in a lifetime thing. You know, it's cool that yeah. you, you, you did it and had no problems. It's kind of scary to travel around, especially in the, in that part of the world yeah. nowadays. Yeah. But it's a lot safer now. Um, it's safer. I think it's safer than people think really. It, it really is. Yeah. We did have security. I'm not going to lie. We had a guy with a gun in our at all times, oh, like good. with us. We had police escorts and stuff. Yeah. But he, he, yeah, I'm sorry. Bikey was saying that too, that there was a lot of people with like guards with guns all over the place when he went. Yeah. 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 And, and you would think that would make, it's like, yeah, let's, let's be a little bit more discreet guys. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> Just we're not out. that important. Like now people are really going to shoot at us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess it's like, uh, it's the opposite there. It like shows respect and, um, and right. people kind of respect that, you know? And I think they really want to, when Americans go there, they really want to have them feel protected. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm and sure tourism is like a big part of their economy, yeah. I imagine. And it hadn't been very, um, tourism has been down quite a bit yeah. because of, you know, their issues, but they're opening a new museum, um, which is super awesome. And they built it to kind of look like a pyramid mm -hmm. of it. And the Giza pyramids are in the background. So you can see like the new museum with the pyramids in the back. It's so insane. amazing. So cool. Yeah. Hopefully it'll, it'll bring more people there. I hope more people get to go out there and experience that. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not at this point I've traveled so much. I, I always mention I'm just not, I've never been a traveling type person, but that is one place that if once they get teleportation down, uh, <laughs> I'm going to Egypt. <laughs> yeah. The whole plane. Yeah. The plane thing. Is, it's gotta be yeah, a long kind of flight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wanted to ask you something now. Okay. Uh, the dark, especially the art scene, but especially the dark art scene is very, um, male dominated. Yeah. You know, and what's, have you experienced, I mean, I, I, I am so excited when, when, when I discover artists like yourself, females that are doing this kind of work, it's, it's, 
it's exciting for me because I, I would like it to be like a 50, 50 thing. You know, I don't think it, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. It's like that. It's very male and it's very white. And it's kind of like, I don't like that about it really. I I would like to see more diversity in the scene. So um, I'm all about like, you know, bringing, bringing all different cultures in. I think it would really make the the thing so much better. Um, But what, what have you, what's your experience being a woman in the dark art scene? Because <laughs> we're already a minority. <laughs> and so it's like being a female dark artist, like you're a super minority in a way and Latina on right. top of it, you know? Yeah. And I've got it all <laughs> Man, it's like a slipper. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's, that's, I, that's we're we're so fortunate to have you in our, in the scene, thanks. you know? Thanks Chet. That means a lot to me. Well, you know, um, before I go into that, I will say, I think from what I've listened to in most of your podcasts, I didn't really have the experience where I was like exposed to a lot of the horror um, genre where I was able to really explore it the way I wanted to. I had like, I had my, my Stephen King obsession. I had like certain things that I was able to like really grasp onto mm-hmm. as a kid. Um, one thing I really <clears throat> enjoyed looking at, which, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but um, in Texas, it, it's pretty close to Mexico. It's very Latino culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a there's magazine publications that um, <clears throat> are like magazines of death. Oh yeah, I've seen those. Those so are crazy. There's like Alarma and Muerte and stuff like that. When you're a kid and you go to the grocery store, yeah. like these aisles like you can just pick them up and look at them and my mom never stopped me like I would buy them and it's funny that like she thought that was okay but other things were not okay right right I was fascinated at seeing these photos of like people being having been electrocuted or run over by a train or like and and um I enjoyed looking at the grotesque Mm -hmm. like that's kind of what led me into what I make now. Like I've always been fascinated with death. My father was a minister. I was always going to hospitals and funerals with him. And I was always seeing people dying. So it was very normal, a normal part of my life. Right. Um, but anyway, um, going back to like seeing things like that, I never perceived them as being grotesque. I thought they were really beautiful. Right. I, it kind of like expressed like the frailty of life, mm-hmm. you know, how how easily we're like bugs. We could get squished going to work, like in our car. Right, like, right. We have an exoskeleton. You know, we're all soft. Like, yeah, thing could happen to us. I know, like, I know. It's fascinating, and, is what it is. It's I've yeah, always it's, felt fascinated by death. Yeah, it's amazing that we <laughs> we survive like to the ages that we do. Like, um, so I think my perspective as a dark artist is like not so much coming from like horror films or monsters. It's coming from like the human experience of mortality, mm-hmm. morbidity, mortality, yep. and, and and trying to find a more beautiful way of expressing this one thing that we all share, basically, right. you know? Um, and then, and they are all kind of like memento mori pieces because I always feel like I'm running out of time. Every morning I wake up, I just, there's this urgency in me. I've always had it. It's like, I have, I have to do this. So I don't know why I'm just, yeah. com- 
compulsive that way. Like, and, um, I have to purge these ideas that are in my mind. And, uh, and so, uh, getting back to you saying women in dark art, I feel like the women, women are kind of raised differently, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a cultural thing. It's different now. I think they're letting girls do what boys can do mm-hmm. as children. I mean, right. they're not holding girls back anymore. So maybe we'll see like like a surge of this kind of thing in the future, maybe in the newer the new generation that's coming into like art now. Um, I just hate it, to think of a little girl like you being kind of culturally, everything around them culturally is saying, don't do this. If, if that's what's in your heart, that just is so tragic. It is, but look, I'm doing it anyway. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You're one of the trailblazers. Um, I think if you have enough of an interest in it, you're going to do it. You know right. what I mean? But you have to love it. Like mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, another thing I tell young artists is they're like, oh, what should I draw? I'm like, well, draw what you love. Exactly. Draw what you like. You you can't draw what other people are drawing. You can, but like draw what you love because that's what's going to keep you going. Absolutely. And that's going to make you happy. And when it makes you happy, people are going to enjoy looking at it. Mm-hmm. And it just, that's the way it should be, you know? And it's going to get you through the difficult times too. Right. Yeah. yeah. You got to be true to yourself. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be absolutely true to yourself and screw everything else. Yeah. Don't do what's popular. You know, don't spend your day looking at too much shit. Like just Go into your head and look inside of yourself and create what is your truth, you right, know? Absolutely. And, um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, I wish there were more female dark artists. I show, um, my art to people that I work with sometime and I always have to have to give them a disclaimer because none of them, well, now a lot of them are, I'm a little bit more out in the public. So people are seeing videos and art articles of me. Right. So I can't, Right as well as I used to. <laughs> be very careful now. Yeah, uh, I bet. Uh, but I, I show my work to some of the people I work with, and a lot of them are very conservative, and I always have to tell them, I, I have to warn you, it's really dark, and I have a whole other life that you have no idea. Uh. <laughs> it's, you know? <laughs> and they love it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they 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 love it and for someone like that to enjoy it it says to me like this is this is cool like this is a this is a it's this they wouldn't probably hang it in the right right that's what i i that's what i always say it's like one of my favorite things when when someone's like a comes up and they're a huge fan but they're completely straight looking you know like very conservative you'd never guess they were into dark art that's kind of the most satisfying thing to me because oh yeah you know it's it's all my collectors are like that yeah (laughs) my collectors are like oh you would never know how twisted they are (laughs) i love that (laughs) yeah i i see i definitely see growth with um um women in dark art it's it's uh it's always been on my, on my, I look at my Instagram analytics and it's mm-hmm. always, it stayed pretty constant at 64, what was it? 60, 40, 60, 40, 60% male, 40% women. And that's like not too bad. You know, it's when I, when I, yeah, right, right. When I first started like 2004, I started a website and I, and I bought t-shirts. I bought men's shirts and I bought women's shirts. And I could not sell them. I still have some of those women's shirts in my, because oh, really? I, couldn't, I couldn't sell them. 
And so I just stopped making them because I'm like, well, clearly my audience is male. So, you know, I can't at that point, I was like, I can't afford to just, you know, I I had to be really careful with the money. So but now it's like I I see more more female fans all the time that are into this stuff. I had uh, this was great. It was a a double whammy. I had a young, maybe a triple whammy because she was young, young, black female come up to me. Yeah, she was probably 19 or something and she was so into it and she was an artist and she had a a group show at Otis that day. I wish I could remember her name. And she left the show. She had her mother come with her to go to Monster Palooza on the last day to come and see see me. And it was like I, so amazing. It's like, you know, it was so cool to see it. She was awesome. so into it. And she's like, would you come and speak at my school? I was like, of course, you know, I'd love to do that. So that's like the, the, the new generation coming in. So yeah. I think that's kind of where it's coming from. You know, and her yeah. mother was totally cool, totally supporting her, bringing her to Monster Palooza to meet this crazy guy with a beard and all these monster <laughs> paintings. That's a cool mom. <laughs> oh, yeah. I I definitely get a lot of those, the young girls who come, they bring their portfolios and show me their work. It's sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so cool. It's like, yeah, keep doing it. Yeah, keep yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's, that's why it's especially important that you, that you as a woman in dark art are doing this because you've got all these you know, these young girls that, that need a role model to look up to, you know? So that's cool. That's amazing. I'm so happy to have, so you're talking about your analytics. I have 53% women. Oh, wow. Um, almost always, which I'm super proud of. I'm working, Um, I'm working, I'm working on that. (laughs) I want to get there. (laughs) I'm like, so I'm hoping it's more now. I haven't checked it in a little while, but, um, I, I'm all about empowering women into, you know, being the strongest that they possibly can be mm-hmm. kind of, you know, pairing up and, 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 and encouraging them instead of like, I think historically women kind of always fought each other. But yeah. Just, just, <clears throat> That's what mean, my, my wife says women are, are their own worst enemy when yeah, it comes to and, feminist and stuff. You know, she's, she's, she's always well, like, we need to get together. <laughs> We do. And I, I've been lucky enough to have a lot of friends who are um, who are like minded and we support each other. We're good to each other. Um, it goes back to primitive times where you're, you know, you're competing for the male gaze. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And women have to, they, you know, they're the competition. It's right. the way it was in the jungles. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, right. So it's like kind of um, innate. And unfortunately, you know, it, it's passed through time. And I think women uh, sometimes are, um, <clears throat> are not very nice to each other, you right. know? Yeah. And, um, I, I'm, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you something private about myself. I mean, I used to date women mm. and I was actually engaged to a woman and, um, I've never seen women as anything other than just men and women are the same to me. Right. You know I mean? Right. Um, and so I've never felt like, uh, any kind of like, competition or animosity with them you know mm-hmm. um which I, I, of course it's a very different perspective to have i mean right it, it, it kind of lends it, it it definitely lends me a different perspective yeah for sure i mean um but i do feel like from what i've heard <clears throat> I, mean, I try to post things that help people in the last year i've posted more personal things because i feel like i've had some pretty um pretty interesting life experiences that I think would probably help some people. Right. 
And I think people look at your Instagram and it's so glossy and they think, oh, your life is perfect and you've got it all and you're lucky. That's my, that's the least favorite thing I hate to hear. You're so lucky. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You don't know what it's really like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's what Instagram is all about in a lot of ways. For a lot of people on there are presenting this kind of phony life that sort of causes uh, like envy really. Yeah. But I, I, I agree. I, I prefer to keep it real and let people know I'm a real person. This is not yeah. easy. Right, like we're right. all we're all suffering. I mean that's that's a big part of I think what um dark art is one of the big elements of dark art is to honor suffering. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing is, along with death that we all share is that we all suffer. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's important to to uh honor that. Yeah. You know, and share it. Yeah, it's important to share those experiences. I mean, my life was not easy. My life, I'm lucky right now that I've reached a point where, like, I can actually, like, chill a little bit, you mm-hmm. know? I, I struggled through art school. I, days I wouldn't eat. Like, I didn't have a place to live. I lived in my car. Wow. I had two cats living in my car. I had a litter box in my car. Wow. Like, <laughs> I and I didn't grow up like in a good neighborhood either. I grew up like in a rough neighborhood. And so my life has not been easy. And I think when people see your Instagram and they perceive you as like having, you know, I don't know, anything, money, whatever. It's like it it takes time to like to achieve those things. And and I I want to make sure people realize that, like, it wasn't always like that. You know what I mean? Things are hard when you're starting and they're going to be hard. Like you're going to suffer. You're going to be sad. You're going to be depressed. I mean, I've had depression my whole life. Like I'm not going to lie. Like I'm not, I'm not like the most social happy person in the world. Like, right. but that's part of what like feeds your artwork, you know? And without it, I'd probably be painting rabbits or who knows what. Oh, I actually did paint a rabbit. (laughs) (laughs) I take that back. I, I think you know. I think that that dark art is specifically empowering to women. I think because you know mm-hmm. it, it's 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 to to pull it off and to pre- present your work within that context. It's like it's a it's a powerful position, you know. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you when you go out in public, you're not you know you don't give the impression of weakness you 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 come across as very strong and badass you know i would say i think everyone would agree with that (laughs) whether you're feeling that way or not what's that it's like cosplay i'm like i have like we all have our armor you know right yeah yeah but 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 the point you you know what i'm saying though right it's like it's it's just being a female dark artist is is i think it's easier for a, a guy to be a female dark artist so Wait, no, no, it's for 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 men to be. It's it's easier for a man to be accepted as a dark artist. I oh, think, yeah. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and so yeah. you've really got to be. I don't know. I think you really have to. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I think it's like I know what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. What am I saying? So, <laughs> what's really cool is that um, a, a lot of people think I'm a guy. Um, like oh they, yeah, because your name is well, no, or they'll just see my artwork, right? And they think I'm a guy, and um, no, just saying your your name on Instagram is one more fix, right? 
Right. And <laughs> like we're at Monster Palooza and I have my assistant with me and I'm sitting down. They think it's his artwork. Oh, how funny. And and I always think it's funny. It's like that joke where you say like, so the doctor walked in the room and then they say like, oh, where is he? Like they always say he, like right. they don't, they don't assume it's a woman. Right. Um, it's just like so deeply ingrained in people that a woman would be able to create artwork, you know, like yeah. this, like it's not, it's, I like that there's no, no sex subscribed to it. You know what right. I mean? It's, yeah, yeah. It's, even when we did private critiques in school and art school, um, <clears throat> our, our professor would walk around and every time she would like, one time she said that my, my painting was misogynistic and what kind of man would paint this kind of thing. And this is, and wow. I was everybody who knew it was mine was like laughing because it's like, <laughs> <laughs> that's misogynistic to think a man painted it you know that's the misogyny right there well she thought a man painted this image <laughs> this very you know um <laughs> I'll, I'll show you a picture later <laughs> um yeah so i like that i like that you know you can't tell that a woman did it yeah. you know it's cool yeah um, yeah Shouldn't be about the art. Shouldn't be about that, really. No, you no. See, because really. it's, it's about expressing your your truest self, and your truest self isn't male or female. Right. Yeah. You know. That's yeah, true. Very true. Yeah. <coughs> it's interesting. It's it's uh. Yeah, yeah. It's anyway. I, I just think it's. I, I I want I want more women. I want more diversity in the in the yeah. dark art scene. Yeah, I was going through your podcast and kind of scrolling down, looking for all the women. I've listened to all of them. <laughs> I know it's kind of a sausage fest. It's a little embarrassing, but <laughs> I Stephanie, I love Stephanie. Um, Stephanie Vega is like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and, um, I I keep track of all the great female dark artists, and they're on my list. I have a long list of artists I'm trying to get through, so um, I, I I'm gonna keep doing it. You know, I'm gonna keep. Yeah. If I find any, I'll send them your way. Yeah. Cool. That would be great. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, you know, we're at over two hours, so oh. I should probably let you go. <laughs> oh my God. That was fast. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. That's, uh, that's how good conversation is though. That was great, man. I can't wait to, I can't wait to post this. This is really excellent. Uh, awesome. I hope, I hope you enjoyed it. I did. What do you have going on in the in the future? What's what's that show you were talking about? What's what's going on like currently, and, and what you have any plans for the future? Or I do. Um, <clears throat> right now, I'm trying to create a little bit more work. I have like several large drawings that I'm going to be working on. Um, actually, going to start working on uh, on one of them today. I've been so busy with so many conventions. I haven't really had time to be in the studio, but um, so I'm going to do um, some new work and I have a solo show in 2020. I'll post about it. Um, cool. I'll post about it as it starts to approach a little bit. I'm working with um, <clears throat> Brian Bivetos on a film. Oh, cool. That we're going to do. It's one of his projects, which should be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it's always nice to get out of your genre and do yeah. something, you know, um, <clears throat> let's see what else. I am going to curate a show at Lethal Amounts. Oh, cool. Um, that's for later this year, so I'm going to probably ask you to. <laughs> <All right. laughs> <laughs> um, what else? Let's see. I have Oddities Flea Market coming up in yeah. May. Oh, that's in May. Wow. Yeah, that's what 
18th and 19th, I think, Saturday and Sunday, I'm sure. Cool. Um, I'm kind of just taking it like month by month because I get really overwhelmed. I also have a show at The Great Frog and a show at House of Machines coming up as well. What, are those, just, what are those places? I've never heard of them. Well, Great Frog is um, is a place that makes like they're historically they were founded in 1972 and they make like skull rings. He's made biker rings like cool, really famous biker rings that have been around for a long time. They're from London, but they have a shop here in Hollywood. <clears throat> oh, cool. And uh, they're like super related to motorcycles, motorcycle culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm doing a show there. My husband's bike is actually there. The one I painted that big chopper. Oh, cool. And um. And then House of Machines is another motorcycle place that has a huge gallery. And uh, I was offered a show there with some pretty amazing people, but I can't mention yet. Uh. But, <laughs> but it's, it, if it happens, it's going to be pretty amazing. Cool. Um, I'll, I'll keep everyone posted on that as well. So, yeah, a lot of stuff happening. Excellent. Well, what's the best way? Is Instagram the best way for people to keep up on what you're doing or your website? Or what's the best I- way? I think so. Instagram, I'm most active on. Facebook, um, I'm on it, but it's a little too many family members and old uh, high school people are on it. So I, I, I don't post like as much as I do okay. on my Instagram, which is a little bit more anonymous. Right. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, you can go to Instagram, one more fix. One more fix. One more fix. And then uh, Liz Lopez on Facebook, L-I-Z-Z-L-O-P-E-Z. Cool. Well, I'll also put links in the description and stuff too, but I also That'd be awesome. wanted to get in there. Well, thank you so much for, for talking and being on the show. It was excellent, excellent oh, interview. Thank you for having me. Sorry it took me so long. I know. It's, this has been years <laughs> in the making, I think. <laughs> At least a year in the making. But uh, yeah, it was great. It was as, as good as I hoped it would be. So um, yeah, thanks for coming on and Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we really appreciate the support. The, the The movement is growing, and I love that. It's exciting. Exciting times. I feel like we're in the early days of punk rock. I don't know. If, yeah. Do you feel that yeah. way? I feel like we're in yeah. the early days of this really Definitely. cool, awesome movement. So it's, it's, it's exciting. Every day, I'm, I'm excited about it. So thank you for supporting it. Uh, if you want to support the, the Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash Society and support for as little as a dollar and that helps me keep this thing running and posting every week and i guess that's it so thanks everyone yes thank you liz and thank you podcast listening audience we will talk to you next week (laughs) all right Bye, bye everybody